Welcome to the Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast with your host, hailing from Kakana, Wisconsin, riding a CST tires, SSI decals, traveling back Yamaha YFC 450R, four-time ATV motocross national champion, number 25, Cody Jensen. What's up, everybody? We're back. I'm your host, Cody Jansen. Welcome to episode 67 of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast presented by our title sponsor, CSD Tires, available for purchase and in stock today at shop.csdtires.com. We're going from one ATV racing legend in Corey Ellis, who was featured on the previous two episodes, directly to another legend on this week's show. 1997 Pro ATV GNC National Champion Shane Hitt is one of the greatest ATV racers of all time. Over the course of the next two hours, you'll hear the incredible story of his legendary career, which eventually results in Shane becoming one of the most prolific TT racers ever. But don't get it twisted, GNC champion means Shane Hitt can literally do it all. From getting his first utility quad as a boy in West Virginia to honing his skills dodging trees, winning races, titles, and the most prestigious championship on the planet, developing Honda's new TRX 450R, riding for multiple factory teams, helping manage the factory KTM ATV team, and more. Throughout it all, Shane never lost his love for the sport, the same love that he possessed as a boy, and to this day you can still hear it in his voice. Like on the previous episodes with Corey Ellis, this is another conversation littered with ATV racing history and stories that you've never heard before involving the likes of Timmy Farr, Mark Baldwin, Wayne Meridian, and more. We are proud to give legends like Shane Hitt a platform to tell his ATV racing story, and we're proud to bring this unrivaled content to our listeners. And on that note, Let's get to it. We'd like to say thank you to all of our incredible partners, starting with two new partners for the 2022 season. We're proud to announce our partnership with the Haymauer Financial Group. Do you have the right financial advisor to help you reach your goals? Call Scott Haymauer, an ATV racing enthusiast himself, at the Haymauer Financial Group today. Can't thank those guys enough for coming on board, and we're also proud to announce our official partnership with a company you heard from a few episodes ago, Integrated Financial Concepts and their safe-to-race and safe-to-ride insurance programs. While something happens on or off the track, Integrated Financial Concepts has you covered. See how Integrated Financial Concepts and their insurance programs can help you today. So we're stoked about that, and of course, we couldn't do it without all of our long-standing partners as well. CST Tires, go to shop.com. CSTtires.com today. Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew, thanks to Valvoline, SSI decals, DID Racing Chain, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV components, Impact Solutions, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply, Forworks Carbon, DP Brakes, Gripped Gloves, Factory 43, Bike Strikes and Quads LLC, and Manscaped. Get 20% off 
and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. Speaking of Manscaped, with the holidays fast approaching, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 is the perfect gift. This kit includes the new Lawnmower 4.0 electric trimmer that I rant and rave about every week for helping me keep my beard on point, the best nose hair trimmer I've ever used, and an array of goodies including deodorant, boxer briefs, a travel bag, and more. So check out Manscaped. I wish I would have sooner. If you're like me, gifting can be difficult, but Manscaped is a great gift to keep in mind this holiday season and get 20% off with free shipping by using code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. Support all these great companies that support us. Let them know that you like us by using our discount codes and for any products that fall through the cracks, click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner on our website to help us out. As we're now fully entrenched in the off season, we both know you need parts and gear. No matter what off-road gear or parts you need, Rocky Mountain ATVMC has you covered. But before you buy, simply click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner on our website. By using our specific link, we get a percentage of what you buy on the back end. So if you want to help us out, this is about as easy and convenient a way to support us. So click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner at diggingdeepatvmx.com to help us out while satisfying all your gear and parts needs this off season. We can't thank you enough for that. If you've never looked for that Rocky Mountain ATVMC link, it's on the right-hand side of our homepage at diggingdeepatvmx.com. And for those of you who have utilized the link, and many of you have, you'll notice something new underneath the Rocky Mountain logo. Brooke and I are Amazon fiends. We have Amazon Prime, just like so many of you do. Well, Digging Deep now has an Amazon widget. So same concept. Before you buy from Amazon, simply go to our website, click the Amazon logo right underneath the Rocky Mountain logo, purchase whatever your heart desires, and we'll get a percentage of what you purchase on the back end. We're all purchasing from Amazon this time of year, so use our Amazon link to help us out as you buy this holiday season. We have one new donor to shout out this week, and this makes the hair on my arm stand up. We had an anonymous international listener donate $200 in the wake of the Corey Ellis amazing episodes, and I nearly fell out of my chair. It feels so freaking good to know that you guys are enjoying our stuff, and it truly does help. I pay Dallas for all of his time. We invest a lot of money in prizes and shipping and the development of the Digging Deep ATVMX Fantasy League and so much more. We're always trying to make improvements to what we're doing. So any donations that we do receive go a long way. But man, I'm so grateful for the latest donation. Thank you so much. This is anonymous. um, So I can't shout you out. You maybe didn't want to be shouted out, but thank you so much from us here at Digging Deep. Also, Justin Branham is a monthly donor and we have to shout him out. You're the man, Justin. Thanks so much for supporting Digging Deep on the regular. If you're interested in donating and hearing your name on the show, you can find the Patreon and buy me a coffee donation links on our website. And we can't thank those of you enough who have donated. Now it's showtime. The 32nd board is up. It's sideways and the gate is down. Time to dig deep. Let's go with Shane hit right here on the digging deep ATVMX podcast. Enjoy.
All right, guys, I have to admit that this conversation is one that I've been anxious for, for what seems like forever growing up. This guy was a hero of mine. He's one of my favorite ATV racers of all time. One of the greatest ATV racers of all time brought to you by Manscaped and the lawnmower 4.0 electric trimmer. Go to manscaped.com to get 20% off plus free shipping by using code digging deep 20 at manscaped.com. Say hello to ATV racing legend, Mr. Shane hit Shane. Thanks so much for being here and welcome to the digging deep ATV MX podcast. Thanks, Cody. Um, it's good to be here. I'm excited to see where this goes. <laughs> Man, conversations like these are always so special to me because, like I said, you were always a hero of mine uh, coming up from the, you know, the ATV uh, TT background with flat track and TT being, you know, kind of how I started with my dad. And, uh, I was always partial to you because of that, because you were a TT savant. Um, but you know, the other thing that I always enjoyed about you, Shane, is you seem to always truly, uh, love to ride, love to race. And I feel like you always wore that love for the sport on your sleeve. And I really always enjoyed that about you. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was different. I got into, I didn't grow up, you know, as a little kid, you know, my parents didn't race. So I wasn't coming from a racing background and, uh, we, you know, my dad bought a four wheeler one time and I, I got on it and I started riding it. The first four wheeler I had though come from, uh, a buddy of mine, my brother's best friend, Alan Petty, who lives here in town, he uh, bought one. It was, I think, just a little 125 Suzuki. And, and the first okay. time I got rode it, I was like, wow, this thing's pretty cool. And I just wanted to ride, you know, and I wanted to ride all the time. And, and it mm -hmm. just, I just loved to ride. And, and still today, I mean, if I can find time, there's really nothing I'd much, I mean, there's a few other things, but not a lot that I'd <laughs> Right. right, right, right. And, and I love that because, um, you know, that, that love, that passion that you had for it, you had it at the beginning, you have it now, it feels like even throughout, you know, a, a long professional career for you, that, that was always part of your MO was just this, this love for riding and racing, which you love to see because it's, it's easy to probably get burned out. And I'm sure there's times where a person gets burned out, but to, to, uh, continue that love for it. Uh, I just, I love to see that coming from guys like you that did it for so long. Yeah. And that's really all I like to do was, was ride. I was never much into training. I didn't want to go out and go to the gym and do all that other stuff. And I got, got a little bit of slack over, you know, from like Joe Bird, <laughs> those guys. I mean, they go and work out the gym all the time and mm -hmm. I just want to ride, you mm -hmm. know, and yeah, and so sometimes I wasn't in as good a shape as those guys, but, uh, uh, I had more fun than they did. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was, that was part of the time, right? There wasn't guys at that time. I mean, training was a thing. It wasn't as big of a thing as it is now. Um, but, but yeah, I don't think, I think there's a lot of guys in, in your boat. I feel like. Well, I mean, I felt like I was, I was at a huge disadvantage, obviously growing up in, in West Virginia, didn't have my own track, didn't have a place really to practice a local track that was open once a week called Pyramid Valley. It's right off I-79 where I grew up. Okay. So I had, Another friend named Darius Laddie that lived in Lewis County, about 20 minutes from me where I could ride. But through the winter, it's the weather's so bad. I mean, it's like you are. You're up mm -hmm. north. Yeah. You know, it's like Corey when he's up in the up in Washington State. I mean, you just you don't get a ride. So um, we we didn't do much. And at that and early on, I didn't I didn't go to Florida and stuff. It wasn't really until, you know, probably halfway through my career when 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 Timmy had quit working at Timken and decided to go racing full time, you know, and someone would call me and say, Hey, Timmy's down here in Florida riding. And I'm like, what? He can't do that. He's cheating, you know, <laughs> uh, so, how things I, have I, changed. I, 
time I got off the phone from whoever told me Timmy was in Florida riding and training, trying to get ready, I was packing my stuff. I was headed to Florida. So. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, how things have changed, but I'm sure there's a number of people that are listening right now that uh, could relate to that. And that's always something that I kind of felt too. Like I felt like I was a little bit at a disadvantage because even if you go to Florida uh, for a couple of weeks, because it's a pretty big expense to go do that, whether it's in the eighties or nineties or now. Um, and you know, those people that can spend more time or come from that or have a track in their backyard, even during the the good months of, of weather uh, that's just such an advantage. And that's an advantage that I never had either. Well, and you're right. I mean, you say, yeah, we're going to pick up and we're going to go to Florida and ride for two weeks. But if you take off what people don't understand, they say, well, I went to Florida and trained for two weeks. If you go, I felt like if I went to Florida to ride for two weeks, first week was a throwaway. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. down there and you get adjusted to everything. You go riding the first day, you either get blisters, you mm-hmm. know, all your hands because, you know, if I went riding, I, I rode hard. So then right. I'd have to <laughs> the whole rest of the week. My body's just sore and ache. So it took over, it took a week really to, before you could start really riding hard. So the first week I always felt was just a throwaway. Mm-hmm. So no, you're exactly that, right. Yeah. You're you, exactly right. For, you know, three weeks or a month to ride and, and it was expensive and, and uh, you had to find some place to stay and you had to run from place to place because, you know, there was, there's a lot of tracks down there, but they're open on different days. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the time we figured all that stuff out, we were, uh, we were late in our careers, but, I don't know. We somehow, somehow we made it work. I mean, thank God that TT and motocross was together. You Mm -hmm. know, that's, that really saved me. So, well, and the thing that I guess maybe we don't cover enough with that era is, um, you know, you guys would go to races and they'd have TT and motocross like on the same weekend, right. Which is uh, a way that at least it made it a little easier for you guys, uh, that you weren't having to chase at least over, uh, you know, all over so much. I know obviously you traveled a ton, but you'd knock out multiple events in, in a weekend, right? That's how that worked. Well, there was years like when Mike Kidd ran, ran the, the ATV motocross series. Like when we, we went to Texas and we go to California and stuff, mm-hmm. they would try to run the motocross and the TTs back-to-back weekends one weekend we'd run the tt and the next weekend we'd run the motocross at the same place okay. or we go to you know run boyd and then we'd drive down the road a few miles to wolf creek and run and they would try to you know double them up um kind of like they do with the gnccs when they go and they start the first race in florida and then they come back and hit georgia a couple days later and come back so it's mm-hmm. safe but yeah it was uh it was good you know i mean i kind of figured it out you know once i kind of got into this was the series I was really going to run because when I started out, I just wanted to race and I just went, I go to a local cross country race and then I go to a GNCC race and then I go to a TT race and I go to a flat track race and then a motocross race. Mm-hmm. And there was years that I tried to run the GNCCs and the motocross and TTs. And, um, I just, I mean, as long as there was, if there was a race, I was going. Yeah. So at the beginning of your career, so you, 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 know, you, you get this quad or whatever, and you're, you know, you're riding it at home, I'm assuming, or whatever. How do you get into the racing scene at the very beginning when it all started? How did you first get into racing? Like, what was your first racing experience like? Well, the first one I ever went to, I believe was a drag race. There was a, having a drag race, snowmobiles and uh, four wheelers on grass. And so my dad took me to that. And then and there was a little flat track about 20 miles from us that was running every, that run every Saturday night and they run, you know, all, all classes that stock classes, modified classes, utility or whatever. I have 300 Bayou and I got one of my buddies to haul it down there for the utility class. Okay. So I'm out there doing 
flat track on a 300. <laughs> so then my dad got a quad sport and uh, I, I started taking it down there and doing some flat track on the quad sport. And then a guy across the road from me or lived pretty close to me named Bill Clevenger, who actually lives across the road from me still today. Okay. He's, hey, there's a track up next to Morgantown, West Virginia, uh, Brewster Mills called Dream Mountain. And they run, you could show up on Sunday morning, eight o'clock, they would run a two hour cross country race. Then we would run a motocross race at one o'clock. And then at three o'clock, they have TT track, we'd run TT. So we, I would show up and run all of them on the same bike. And sure. all we would, man, we just take a couple uh, gallon, you know, gallon jugs of water and just dump over the bike and wipe all the mud off, you know, put motocross tires on, run motocross. Then when the motocross was over, we'd take the rear motocross tires off, run the same front tires and just stick on, uh, you know, a set of flat track rear tires and run the TT. So um, it was crazy, but we just did everything on one bike. That's crazy. I, that's what I love. And, and we touched on this a little bit before we hit record on this uh, conversation, but this is what I love about, you know, what we're doing at Digging Deep, because there's plenty of ATV, you know, racing fans out there who worship the ground legends like you walk on. Right. Um, but you know, like as if you were a legendary, you know, football or basketball player or something, but in our sport, uh, there's not like these old archives or coverage of, you know, how you guys started and amateur racing and stuff like that. So I love to hear these stories and then, you know, hearing the, the cross country stuff, the motocross stuff, the, the flat track and TT stuff to do all that when you were young, it probably played paid dividends later. Like maybe that's why you were such a well-rounded rider later on is because you were doing it all from the very beginning. Well, you know, when I started getting good at TT, a lot of the local people were like, I think he's good at TT because, you know, he weaved in and out of them trees for, you know, hours at a time. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't yeah. Help out, but I mean, it, it, I mean, it obviously it probably didn't hurt. I mean, the more stuff you can do, the more time you're on the bike, the more you ride, obviously the better you're going to get. Of course. Uh, and that was just me. I mean, I would go race all weekend and I come home and I go ride trail ride all week long. I just, I mean, that's all I really wanted to do. I mean, growing up, my dad was a stick and ball sport, sports guy. So I played baseball and football and ran track. And, and so I was into all that stuff, basketball. And then okay. um, when I got, you know, into high school up to really my senior year, I skipped my senior year of football to go to Loretta's. So, and that's basically, I mean, I just decided at that point, all I wanted to do was just race. And I wasn't really trying to make any money or get in the magazines or be famous anything. I just, I just wanted to race. Right. Right. And, and I guess back then, you know, the path wasn't as clear. I feel like, like now, if I, if a kid comes in now, you kind of know the system, you probably start on a mini and then you, you know, get on a two fifty, and then eventually a four fifty, and then pro-am and then you make it uh, to the pro class back then. Like, it feels like everybody had a little bit you know, different path. Every nobody, no two guys from your era took the same path. So, how did you? I guess before going pro, like, what was your amateur career like? Like, did you end up going to national events and stuff like that as an amateur, or how did that work for you? I did one year, but when when I listened to your your podcast with with Thomas Brown, okay, because I, I thought you know Thomas took almost the same path that I did. You know, I mean, I went to the, my first motocross national with a friend. Uh, my parents didn't go. I just rode with a friend and okay. went up and I 50 Mojave. I was a, my local dealer was a, was a Suzuki Kawasaki dealer, Smitty Suzuki. And, and I went out there. So I was a Kawasaki fan. I was, you know, Jimmy White and 
Jackie Meadows and Harley mm-hmm. Shepard as a little kid. I mean, when I was in high school, I wouldn't say a little kid. I was basically in high school. I thought, you know, it was it was just all Kawasaki to me. So I went to Southwick. It was my first national. Okay. And I went and rode the four-stroke B class. And at this point, I didn't know much about any of that stuff. I didn't. I never even heard of Southwick. Uh, <laughs> after I left, I wished I hadn't. Right. But it was <laughs> up there. We had a good time. Um, so I ran the four-stroke B class, and I think I ended up fifth. Um, first time I'd ever been there. And it's just basically because I wore most of those guys just wore out. Uh, cause I was on a bone stock Mojave, which with a pipe on it, which probably that's what everybody else was on two stock bikes. I mean, back then, not many people had shocks and A-arms and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Right. Mojave with a pipe on it. And then the next year, that must've been around 89, 88, 89, something like that. I think later that year, I think my parents took me to Loretta's first time I'd ever went. So we went to Loretta's and raced. And my dad told me at Loretta's, you know, I rode the B class. He said, if you want to do this, he says, we'll, we'll do this series. And I'm like, serious. He said, we'll take you to all of them next year. And when we went to Loretta's, we just had a little, you know, I don't know what it was maybe a six by 10 open trailer that just okay. stuck on the little, little Astro van. And we threw the tools and spare parts in the back of the Astro van and down the road we went, you know, mm-hmm. we at the hotels and it sat right out there on the trailer, a couple stra- tie down straps on it. And that's all we had. Uh, so. diff- different times, different times for sure. But that's awesome. Like um, that, I mean, that, that modest, um, you know, just doing it the best we can, you know, way to start is like what led to being here today and talking to you and doing all this. So that's pretty cool. So do you have any, uh, you know, do you remember like how that season went uh, that first amateur national kind of season yep. of yours? The first year, and they split it up, it was Mike Kidd ran it. Um, okay. He was out and he ran it, and he ran an East Coast and a West Coast, and he split it up, so, and then everybody met at Loretta's. Um, so he, he decided, you know, we're going to run all these races on the East Coast, and we're going to run all these races on the West Coast. And the top three in points in the motocross and TT will automatically be in the finals at Loretta's. And that's what we did. So we ran all the races on the East Coast. When they put out the schedule, that's the way it was going to be. I mean, there was races in Texas and California. And I was thinking, my parents said they were going to take me to California to race. There ain't no way this is happening. But they went and bought a little high-point trailer because that's what everybody had back then mm-hmm. was high-point trailers. Yep. And so we did. We, we went and did them all. And I did, I did okay. I did pretty good at the TTs. I don't remember how I finished at most of the motocrosses. I know in California, I think I was – when I went to Cal, I did better on the West Coast side than I did the East Coast side. But the okay. West Coast side was the competition wasn't as stiff. Um, so I did better in California. I think I got second on the TT in California. That was in the 250A class. Okay. And the motocross, I was about fifth or whatever. We come back to Loretta's. And I don't remember how I did at Loretta's. I think I was, I was doing pretty good at the TT. And that year, we actually ran the TT at Memphis, Tennessee. And I think I, a chain, my chain came off or something. And in the motocross, I don't. I don't remember how it done up Loretta's probably not very good because I, I, I just, I was on a Suzuki. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. We just heard about some of that, uh, the Suzuki stuff with Corey, that that wasn't necessarily, uh, the bike of choice or whatever. Um, but so you're already in the A class at that time. So how long, I mean, how much time passed, uh, or I guess what path were you on to deciding to go pro then? Like how soon would that have happened after that year in 250A? the next year 
it was the we, next year. And you and really, did, did you feel like you were ready to go, ready to rip? No. <laughs> so whose decision it, was it? It was my, it was really, it was my, my dad, I guess my mom, my dad's like, you know, you, you can ride pro class. And I'm like, okay, whatever. We'll try. <laughs> no, was I ready? I wasn't nowhere even close to it. Okay. I mean, I was, um, and then we went, you know, I was okay. You could see it on the TT at times. I was, I was pretty good at TT. It okay. just TT natural to me. It just always and, came, came natural to I, you from the beginning. I was kind of stupid too at that point, because when I looked at the, the, the riders, I mean, there was Gary Denton, John Scott, Charlie Shepard, and Doug mm-hmm. Gust. That was mm-hmm. the top four guys mm-hmm. at that point, which were all pretty good guys. And I thought, oh, yeah. well, I thought, well, I can run fifth, you know. <laughs> I, play that. I was <laughs> at the point when we were all in places like we're at Atlanta, I'm hoping, I'm saying, man, I hope there's, I hope there's not like 25, 26 guys this weekend because I'll never qualify. You right. know, <laughs> TTs, I could, TTs, I was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but motocross, I mean, it was a stacked field. I mean, you had Gary mm-hmm. Denton, Doug Gust, and John Scott, and Charlie Shepard, and Donnie Banks, and you had people like Mark Earhart, and Doug mm-hmm. Eichner, and Greg Stewart, and, you know, mm-hmm. then you got him far and Joe Bird, and, I mean, it just – it wasn't like it is today. No, you're exactly right, and that's the interesting part about, you know, your exact timeline is when you came into it, like that was kind of the, that like initial group of like pioneer guys. I feel like at that time that, you know, like they were maybe transitioning out as you were coming in. And then, uh, you know, then after that, you were, you know, a mainstay in that next wave for the better part, I guess, of like the next two decades, really with, you know, Timmy and Doug and Jeremiah and Corey, and then that whole group, but you got a taste of it all, you know, like when you came in, you got that initial group. And then that next legendary group of all those great guys, you were obviously, you know, a staple of that whole thing too, but it was cool. Like, like you, you, you touched, like you raced with everybody. Well, I came in, I always like to say I came in at the worst time okay. because I, when, when I, the first, the first TT race I ever went to was in Columbus, Ohio. Um, not thinking what year it was, 87, probably somewhere in that area. I yep. went to Columbus, Ohio with, with, uh, my, my, my godfather, John Day, which was my dad's best friend and Bill Clevenger guy that drug me off to some races and still lives across the road from me. We went to Columbus, Ohio. And when we went to Columbus, Ohio that year, they were still had the factory box fans. They still, Suzuki still had a team. Kawasaki had a team. I think Honda was still there. Mm-hmm. And the next, that was the last year, the next year, everything disappeared. So a lot of those guys that were racing then, you know, basically said, we're done, you know, mm-hmm. the factory's away. Now we're going to have to pay for it. We're not going to st- stick around. Sure. So, they left. I seen all that stuff, but and a lot of the guys that were coming up in front of me, the John Scott, Charlie Shepard, you know, those guys were like, well, they're going to come back. They're going to come back. Well, you know, they didn't come back in, you know, until 2007, <laughs> right. 60, yeah. you know, yep. 20 years later, probably, mm-hmm. or maybe longer than that, but that's how long before the factories came back. So, I mean, I missed, just missed that. And then I stayed in basically till, you know, I quit running motocross. I think my last motocross race was High Point 2007, maybe. Yeah, I was going to say six or seven. Yep. Something in that area. So yeah. I, so, so I, at the beginning, though, Shane, at the beginning, um, yes, to finish that thought, yeah, like you were – maybe it wasn't the ideal time. You got to race everybody, though. Um, did – at the beginning, 
like was the, the those factory rides and stuff like that as you were you know dipping your toes into the pro class thing like was that a motivation before you knew it was going to go away or did i mean were you not at that level that you were thinking factory rides yet i was i wasn't i wasn't at that level you know and i really was probably more in shock you know when i pull up to the Spartan gate you know it got to the point where i didn't want to look left or right i didn't want to look to my right and see barry mccarty and Mm-hmm. Gary Denton and then look and see Donnie Banks and Charlie Shepard and John Scott. I mean, I didn't, I mean, it was I mean, like, you think, well, I can't beat these guys. Right. You know, I don't yeah. Even, I'm here with these guys. You know? Oh, trust me. I know. Uh, hold that thought, but I know that feeling because I remember when I first went pro and thinking the exact same thing, I'm like, well, John Natalie's on my left and, and Chad Weenan's on my right. And there's, you know, Uppy and, and Josh Creamer and whatever. And I'm like, okay, so I can't beat, you know, I can't beat anybody in the top 10. Uh, there's 25 guys. So I need, now I'm worried about qualifying yeah. and, and all that stuff. So I, everything you're explaining, I can feel that. <laughs> That's the way it was. It wasn't just for me, it wasn't just motocross. It was TT too. Cause we mm-hmm. had so many riders. You know, you had all those guys right. that was that motocross. They were pretty good TT riders. I mean, that some mm-hmm. of you know, Doug will try to say he wasn't a good TT. Doug Gus was still a pretty damn good TT rider. Right. You know, and and then you would have these TT specials that would show up. Mark Lee and and Greg Baker and and um, there was and there was just other guys that would show up at the TTs and and make the field even more stacked. Mm-hmm. So it was I don't know. It was nerve wracking, but. Somehow we got through it. <laughs> right. And, and you must have, so I'm assuming, so now, I mean, we're only at, you know, 1990-ish right now. And we know, you know, you so you win the title in 97. So what are those years like? Are you just getting better and better slowly but surely throughout and, and building up to that championship year? Or how were the those early 90s years? Because I guess, you know, when I was prepping for this, I didn't know how early you started as a pro. So tell me about the early 90s and how, how that all was. Was it, was it simply building and getting better and better with each and every year that passed by? I think so. I think re- I think my first year was 90 in the pro class. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, every year just got a little bit better, you know, and, and it wasn't, it was just basically me. Cause I mean, you figure I, I had really hadn't started racing until just a few years before that. And here I am already in the pro class. And when right. I got in the, pro, I was the youngest guy, mm-hmm. um, so, and I didn't know anybody. I mean, I, it, at the, at the nationals, I was just going on my own. And I, obviously I was meeting people as I got there. So each year I just got just a little bit better. You know, I think I went from, I don't know. 15th or something to 10th and then from 10th to 8th and then from 8th to 5th and then from 5th to 3rd maybe and then mm-hmm. yeah. into second and then I had a, a terrible year and ended up broke down two or three times ended up 10th I mean that's how how tough it was if you had a couple bad races I mean you're 10th mm-hmm. so yeah. um, every year I just tried to get a little bit better I got better I got better help um you know, when I first started going, I was just using Clem Research Motors, which were probably okay. And then Curtis started doing my motors. Um, then Wayne started doing my shocks. Uh, and then, you know, obviously we started we started going into aftermarket chassis around, I'm going to think around 92, 93, probably something in that era. Okay. Uh, and that changed a lot of stuff too. So I think so. Yeah, obviously it did. Um, but yeah, like it, it makes sense to think that you had pretty like a pretty fast and sharp trajectory for yourself because yeah like you you just started racing uh just a few years prior so somebody that had been racing for 10 years maybe they're kind of already at their level being that you had just gotten into it to think that 
yeah, like your upswing was, was pretty fast and pretty steep. That makes total sense to me. So in 97, like I referenced, you know, you win the grand national championship that season, but the season prior, I think that you were probably maybe just about to touch on that, but you suffered a, a devastating break. And then the article that I read basically sounded like, you know, you and Timmy were racing hard for that championship. I don't know who would have ever, who would have had the upper hand on the other, um, but it, you uh, suffered this devastating break was the words. Tell me about that. Do you remember, do you remember what happened in 96 there? Um, 96, I think 96 must've been Loretta's. It, I think it was Loretta's. We were running, it was Loretta's at the TT. We okay. went into the Loretta's. Timmy was a few points ahead of me. Um, and we got into lap traffic. We were, we were lapping guys. Okay. And some kid, some kid on a Honda that we were lapping, I was leading. Denton was running second. Timmy was third. Um, and the guy wouldn't get out of the way and they gave him the lap flag or something. Anyway, he eventually, I think he tried to get out of the way, turned right to get out of the way. And I, and I went to the right to pass him and he hit me and knocked me off the track. And I went from first to third, I think, um, Timmy and Denton both got by me, I believe. I ended up third, which, you know, that back in the day on TT, I mean, it was 30 to win. It went 30, 25, 21. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it still, and it still was that only till only just a few years ago, we still had that yeah. same system. Yeah. So it was, it was a big, a big swap instead of me getting 30 and Timmy getting 21. I fell back to 21. I think Timmy got 25 and it was only about 10 points apart. And we would, we would went into the motocross real close or, you know, probably real close. I don't really remember. I mean, I didn't beat Timmy that weekend on motocross anyway, so it probably wasn't going to matter, but it's hard to say. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. You know, at that point, you know, we knew we were so far ahead of everybody else. Um, and it, and that, that turned into a huge fight. I mean, as soon as the race was over, this thing was the TT and they weaved it in and out of the motocross jumps and stuff. Okay. And it was turned into a, a massive fight. There was probably 150 people fighting and, I mean, it was so many people. I didn't know who was who to hit because I didn't. I didn't know <laughs> who was helping me. I didn't know who was with me or I, against me. Yeah, I just kind of stood back and thought, "Wow, what's going on?" And so they come over after the race. The referee's name was Russ something, and he said, "You're done. You're, you're kicked out. You got to go. You got to leave." And I said, "You mean I'm kicked out?" He said, "Yeah." And then Todd Vescovi, and he was a buddy of mine, and Travis Spader. They got this made a petition up and signed it and took it down and tried to get me kicked out because they were like third and fourth in points. And if oh, I did for points, of kicked, course. Yes. And if I got kicked out of the TT and didn't run the motocross, they could both beat me. Okay. So they tried to get me kicked out too. Um, <laughs> but it didn't happen. They, they was, well, what saved me was obviously growing up in West Virginia, riding all the GNCC stuff, and being friends with Dave Coombs and the Coombs family. I knew that they, was coming. Yeah. Dave Coombs was riding around on the water truck and he's comes by and we're loading up. And Dave said, what are you doing? I said, well, Russ kicked us out of here. He said, no, he didn't. I said, he was just here and kicked us out. Dave said, this is my race. I said, well, he's a referee. He says, I overruled the referee. He said, you're not going anywhere. You guys are staying right here. He said, and tell anybody that's got any videos of that stuff, throw it away. So we don't need no video. Uh, so hey, easier, easier, easier video to get rid of back then. Yeah, yeah, because there wasn't a lot of videos back then. It's not like today where everybody has a video. That's what I so mean, yeah. Dave comes back a little bit later in his water truck, and he's like, I took care of it. You're good. So, I mean, they were kicking they were kicking me out. I mean, I was done. And, and uh, Dave Coombs, he uh, 
he was my buddy, you know, because I was from West Virginia and I run, I raced at High Point at locals and all the District Five motocross stuff. Mm -hmm. So we were we were friends, and and um, he went down, he bailed me out. So and and so many different people have. I mean, I've heard nothing but good things about Dave Coombs. Obviously, I know the Coombs family now, but I I didn't know Dave. Um, but uh, nothing. I've never heard anything bad about that guy. No, I, I can't. I mean, he was. He was definitely the racer's friend. I mean, if we were to, even a district five track and he was out there on the dozer or something, I'd come walking by just looking at stuff. He would stop and, he'd, and would take his boy's big old cigar out of his mouth. And he's like, hey, Tang, what do you think about this section? Or what do you think about that section? You know, and mm -hmm. he'd say, hey, they're doing these new Grand Prix out in California now. He says, Dave, you told, just told me about it. He says, I think I'm going to try one. And I said, a Grand Prix? He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to try some Grand Prix. You know, if it works in California, it'll work here. And so, but he was, I mean, he was a good dude. And even Carrie Joe and Rita, they've always been good to me. I know sometimes people get upset with them, but I mean, they're, they got, they got a big heart, you know? I mean, we had like the, the deal with Josh Kirkland when, when Timmy had the KTM team and Josh Kirkland got hurt. Um, they were always, they, they, and then Josh ended up dying about, Oh, it's been six months ago or whatever you know, they drove and this funeral was in the middle of nowhere and Reed and Carrie Joe, they showed up and that, that was over 10 years ago. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, and, and so I've always been good friends with them. You know, I know people get frustrated with them, but I mean, if you go to a race and you got four or 5,000 people there and, and, and you never see anybody when you're in their job, unless, you know, they're pissed off. Exactly. So yeah. yep. they come up, they, they're complaining about something. So you can understand why they, why they get mad and, why they do some of the things they do, but absolutely. I love hearing, uh, love hearing Davey talk about his dad. Um, I love every time I, I hear that, whether it's on a podcast or something, I love hearing that. Um, and, and yeah, they're, they're obviously great people. Uh, I think that there's so many of us that are just grateful for what they do to give us an avenue to still race. Um, so I think when you think about it on that level, uh, kind of, kind of squashes everything else, right? Like, you know, people are always can't please everybody, I guess is the best way to say that. Uh, but the fact that they still roll out a series for us to race, um, shows obviously how much they care. Cause I know, I mean, like, look at the way that they lobbied for Gary for the, the hall of fame thing and whatever, like that was a passion thing for them just shows like, like they obviously care about ATVs. There's no questioning that. Yeah. And, and you're exactly right. That's who put Gary in the AMA, them, exactly. the rich yes. people in town that without them, Gary would have never made the AMA. Mm -hmm. and, and without Gary making it, no one else riding a fork would ever make Because if what? Gary didn't, no one goes. No, and, and it's public. So he's kind of set. Now he's he's laid the foundation for maybe people to follow, which is an awesome thing. But if you, you know, this is public record, you can go out there and look at the petitions that have been put out there for Gary to be in that Hall of Fame. And the Coombs family has signed off on everyone. They're the one that put together that petition, just so people know. I went to the ceremony. You know, obviously I raced with Gary and mm -hmm. good friends with Gary. Yeah. And so I went, I went, you know, and, and uh, after it was over, you know, Carrie, Carrie, Joe and Rita was there. Um, and, and I, I didn't, I didn't know they was there until after it was over. I didn't see him. And, uh, Carrie Joe saw me and she come over and I was talking to some people and, uh, she come over and she said, Hey, and I said, Hey, what's up? And she said, you know, we got one in. And I just, I was honest with her. I said, I don't, I didn't think it was ever going to happen, you know, and I didn't even worry about it. You know, if it did, it did, it did. It's not that big a deal. It's not the end of life, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a motorcycle organization. So I didn't think it would probably ever happen. 
And she said, well, she said, we got to get one in to get two. And uh, she said, and you, if you look at it, you guys pay the same amount to the AMA that everybody that rides dirt bikes do for your memberships. She said, so they, they should, they should be putting you guys in here. Mm-hmm. And I never really looked at it like that. So she's well, right. Like you said, that barrier has been broken now with Gary getting in there. And I think I was kind of of the same thinking. I didn't, I didn't know if it would ever happen. I know that he was, I mean, he was obviously they would even at the banquets or whatever, at our pro meetings, like they would lobby for, for us to kind of go to bat to try to get him in, make sure people were voting, all that stuff. And I guess I didn't know if it was ever going to happen. Now that it did happen, though, um, I think it's a it's a big feather in the cap of the whole ATV community. I think that everybody should be proud of it. Gary's uh, obviously an awesome candidate. Not only is he an eight-time champion, but I think he's just he's always been a good ambassador. Um, and like you said, hopefully, uh, you know, it's kind of kicked the door down, and hopefully, some some more people can can follow suit. We'll get right back to the show, but now a word from our sponsors. And thank you for listening to these ads. Without these great companies, none of this would be possible. Show your support for the people who support us. Welcome to the team, two-time champ Joel Hetrick, who dropped the biggest news of the offseason when he announced his move to CST Tires. The CST takeover has been gaining momentum over the past several seasons, and now Joel Hetrick and his Phoenix Racing teammate Jeffrey Rastrelli are the most recent additions. The Pulse MXR tire has helped lead riders like Thomas Brown to race wins in three consecutive Quad Cross of Nations titles, Nick Janusa to the Pro Class podium, myself Cody Jansen as I rode my Pulse MXR fronts and white label soft comp on rears to back-to-back national championships in the Junior 25 Plus class, and the most recent additions have us thinking a Pro Class national championship is on the horizon for CST tires. The Pulse MXR tire, available in soft and standard compounds, offers the highest level of traction, most predictable cornering, and superior wear characteristics when compared to the competition. Visit shop.csttires.com to join the CST takeover today, or prepare to be beat by someone who did. Joel Hetrick, Jeffrey Rastrelli, Nick Janusa, myself, and so many others are believers in CST tires. Are you? CST Tires, where passion meets the ground. You already know we're Team Blue Crew here at the Digging Deep ATV MX podcast. Whether it's second all-time winningest, seven-time and reigning ATV MX Pro Class National Champion Chad Wienan, or six-time and current XC1 Pro ATV GNCC National Champion Walker Fowler, it's clear the podium-proven Yamaha YFC 450R is the winning choice of sport ATVs. This unprecedented success for the YFC 450R, its unrivaled quality and performance, and the undeniable fact that Yamaha is the leading OEM supporter of ATV racing has created a Yamaha takeover within the sport quad market. Better yet, Yamaha's Blue Crew Racer Support Program is back and even stronger for 2021, meaning Yamaha riders are about to cash in on higher payouts and more prize opportunities, including a chance to win a brand new YFZ450R. For more info, head over to YamahaBlueCrew.com, follow them on social media at Yamaha Outdoors, and check out Yamaha's full proven off-road lineup at YamahaOutdoors.com today. For over 150 years, Valvoline has led the charge by being dedicated to constant improvement and innovation across all disciplines of racing. Valvoline has sponsored some of the greatest names in motorsports, and for the better part of a decade, I've been fortunate enough to be part of the historically great Team Valvoline. From my commuting vehicles to small engines, race quads, and everything in between, I trust nothing but Valvoline in all of my equipment. 
I've experienced increased function and durability as well as a longer life expectancy thanks to Valvoline's array of products and lubricants. Since 1866, Valvoline has been focused on bettering your experience, whether on road, on track, and everywhere in between. Upgrade to Valvoline today and check them out at valvoline.com. SSI decals is a name synonymous with ATV racing, synonymous with big time success, and absolutely synonymous with the best looking decals around. An offshoot of their parent company that was established in 1947, SSI first took shape from owner Ian Harris's passion for ATVs. With what started as just making numbers and decals for riders like Chad Wienan, the company quickly took off, and today you couldn't imagine ATV motocross without SSI decals. The graphics maker and designer now supports all the top teams in ATV motocross as well as teams and riders racing GNCC, Work Series, Pro Motocross and Supercross, Canadian Pro Motocross, Short Course Off-Road Trucks, UTVs, Snowcross, and oh yeah, six-time NHRA World Champion Clay Milliken. No project is too big or too small for SSI decals, making your identity stick with championship-level graphics. Head over to SSIDecals.com today and then maybe call the doctor because things are about to get sick. The Digging Deep ATV MX podcast is brought to you in part by DID in their range of championship-winning chains. Powered by technology, DID chains are designed to give you the greatest strength-to-weight ratio, making them the optimal chain for racing and giving you a championship-level edge. DID has been driving championship-winning race programs since 1933, chosen by champions such as Chad Wienan, Joel Hetrick, and myself, Cody Jansen. Champion above the rest is DID's 520 ATV2 chain, with those same design principles and materials being used throughout their entire line of products, including their on-road category as well. Pick up a DID chain today at your local dealer or reputable online e-tailer. DID what drives you. We are proud to be partnered with Numira Technologies. Since 2001, Numira has led the charge in the ATV and side-by-side market, covering more applications than anyone else in the industry. Numira's advanced piston technology uses a NASA-exclusive aluminum alloy that helps to reduce expansion rates, that allows for tighter tolerances, and leads to higher overall engine performance for your machine. For more information about Numira's wide offerings of pistons, rings, gaskets, and industry-leading top-end repair kits, visit your local dealer or online at www.numira.com. Numira Technologies, pistons with an attitude. We are pleased to be partnered with Bronco ATV and UTV Components, Bronco has been an industry leader in replacement hard parts and accessories for all makes and models for over 15 years. With a catalog that includes a full line of electrical components, engine internals like rods and cylinders, all the way down to suspension parts and bearing kits. Bronco is your hard part source for whatever you need for whatever you ride. Available exclusively through distributors around the world. Visit your local dealer or online at broncoatv.com. 4Works Carbon's innovative, lightweight products include top-notch seat covers, carbon fiber, and plastic hoods, gas tank covers, exhaust shields, shock guards, and much more. Whether you have an ATV, UTV, or snowmobile, 4Works has the goodies that will improve your ride and make you salivate. We trust 4Works for increased function and a sexier look, and you should too. 4Works Carbon, always working hard to bring high-quality and innovative parts to the market. Check them out today at fwcarbon.com. Getting back to your story, Shane. Um, so that article that I read um, about it was actually talking about your '97 season, and, and but it's you know referenced the the devastation in '96, and it said something like you almost didn't come back and race in '97. Do you remember anything about that, or was the was the article maybe being a little dramatic? 
No, no, it was true. It was true. Um, okay. At that point in 95, 96, somewhere in that race, I bought a, a buddy of mine owned a, um, a race car shop and okay. sold models. So, and he was wanting me and he was, and he was one of my early friends from, from high school all the way through. And he'd went to California and stuff with me. I raced fuller and he started this race car shop and he, and he had a new race car in there for sale. And he said, let's take this thing and let's, you go race this thing. And so, I, and at that point I, I went and bought a dirt car. I thought, well, okay. I'll do this weekends. I wasn't racing four wheelers. I was out driving a race car. And I said, you know, I was getting pulled both directions and I'm like, I don't got enough time to do both. Um, so I, and I said before I went into Loretta's that I was going to probably, that was probably going to be it for me in 96. After 96, I wasn't going to come back. I was going to go concentrate on the race car thing and go do that. And, uh, I can't, John Ayers was announcing. I don't know if you remember John. I do. Yeah. And, uh, John, he, he, some word got to him Well, he says across the loudspeaker when we're getting ready to go out, go out to race or whatever. He said, well, I'm rooting for far since hits quitting. Oh, I thought, okay, whatever, man. So <laughs> I see how this works, but anyway, I ended up racing and I decided, uh, and I started out at the beginning of the year, you know, went to Florida and raced my car in Florida and then. I jumped on the four-wheeler, but I was having a good year. So I parked the car about, it was about May or June after I, and I was running good in, in my car. Okay. And I just parked it. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get back to that later. I want to, I want to try to win this thing. And uh, just everything was going right in 97. It's, you know, sometimes you're lucky, sometimes you're good. And, and, and through that year, I mean, I was, I mean, I, I had a lot of, it, you know, I mean, everything went pretty much the way it needed to go. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's a good thing that you did come back and race that 97 season. Good that you probably prioritized the, the ATV thing because you put it all together. Like you said, you, you began the year with a TT win at Burt's Creek, uh, and then backed that up with several, several more grabbed your first ever motocross win that season, the first motocross pro win of your career and route to that first pro title. And so at that time for the listeners here, like you were the, you were the fourth, ATV national champion ever, you know, Rodney Gentry got the first one. Then Gary goes on his run. Timmy knocked, um, knocked Gary off on his way to back-to-back titles. And then you win it in 97. Uh, so tell me about that year that you, you put it all together there. Um, because like you said, kind of all came together. You won five races that year, four TTs, one motocross uh, and route to, uh, and route to your, your, you know, GNC title there in 97. It, it was, it was just your year, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, things were going good. Um, I know I won Birch Creek. I think I was, I, I, and I always tried to stay consistent, you know, when, when I kind of before that was 97, about 94, 95 in that area, I really started saying, you know what, for motocross, I just need to run top five. You know, I just need to get a good start you know, stay out of trouble, don't break, don't have flat tires, and then go win the TTs. Mm-hmm. And when they add all the points together, I'll be fine. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what my philosophy was, you know. Um, if I could pull off a motocross win, you know, and, and back then it was, it was different with the motocross because, you know, we would run one moto on Saturday and one on Sunday. And you didn't get points both days like, like today. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't get points for motos. It was the overall. Mm-hmm. So right. – but it was everything went good. You know, we won high point. The only bad race I had was um, uh, a challenger at, the, at a TT. I got a flat tire in the heat race and had to start last on, okay. on the you know, like twentieth or something on the back row, and ended up getting. I still got fifth, I think. 
Um, but I mean, everything was pretty good. And we went into Loretta's and we had a points lead. Actually, before we went into Loretta's, the, we was at a TT race in Huntsville, Alabama, and Timmy led every lap. And he got the whole shot and led every lap. I don't know where I got out, but I caught him about halfway through the race. And I, and I was all over him. I just couldn't get by him. Okay. The very last corner coming into the end of the finish, Timmy slid just a little bit wide and, and I pulled up beside him at the finish and we were side by side and we were so close that we didn't know who won. I actually, when we come across, I looked over at Timmy and thought, well, that was a good race, but I think he won. And after the race is over, the scores, all, all of them, all the scores scored me as the winner, but then ever, then they, it went in, they protested it. Timmy and him protested it because it was close and they looked at different cameras, but you know, when you look at cameras, depending on what angle you're at, it, it could show the other person wins. So the only camera that they would even look at had to be straight down the line. Well, they didn't have one. Okay. So it was a week off before we went to Loretta's for the last two races and neither one of us knew who won. <laughs> so finally, I think they made a decision or whatever, maybe going into Loretta's and then okay. at Loretta's I was leading the TT and I think Timmy was running third and Timmy broke up. Mm-hmm. I think he broke something, uh, air boot or something or yeah. seized. Yeah. So something happened with the air boot and like the car, you know, fell off or something like that. I read that part because a little fun fact was, you know, when you think of, uh, you know, Gary had that run of a title. So you kind of think about him being dominant, but th- that was your year. You were actually the first ever in the history of the series um, to wrap up a championship before the last race. You, you wrapped it up on the TT there before the motocross and, uh, and that was it. And, and so, um, you, you know, on paper, you kind of dominated you know, unlike anybody ever before, even though you and Timmy were nip and tuck, he suffers that, that break at the, at the very end there. And then you had it wrapped up even before the last race. Yeah, it was, it was close, but about every year it was close. The TT and the motocross thing kept things, it kept things close. Um, you know, Gary won a bunch of championships by just a few points. Timmy right. won is, I think Timmy won the first championship in 94, 95, whenever Timmy won that first one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think he won a race that year. He, he won the championship and didn't win a race that year. Oh, really? Okay. Well, and, and, um, that's something that we've talked about with, you know, with other guys from your era is so much of it was that consistency because there were so many, you know, key players, so many contenders that could win plus with the TT and the motocross kind of just needed to be consistent. Like you said, so your strategy of being the TT guy and then, you know, top three, top five at the motocross races, is obviously a good strategy. Yeah, I mean, it worked because everybody was going to mix things up. You didn't go back and see even as dominant as, as like Digger was. I mean, he didn't go out and win all the motocrosses or, you know, and he, well, he definitely wasn't going to win all the motocrosses, then win all the TTs. Right. I mean, there was people were going to mix things up and, and you could easily, you know, I could easily go out and run second or third on motocross one week and then the next week run 10th. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, it was. It was crazy. You don't see Chad or Joe or Thomas. You don't see those guys run first one weekend and 10th the next. Right. You know, no, it, no. That, that, I think that that's some of what made that era so special and legendary and iconic. Um, you know, when people remember back to it, because you truly didn't know what was going to happen each and every weekend. Yeah, it was, it's me. It was fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I liked it. I, and I'm not saying that what those guys are doing today. I mean, those guys are, even the guys running fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth in the pro class today, those guys are fast. Mm-hmm. It's oh, yeah. just, Joel and Jad are just, they're just better. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I think that we saw that this year that the whole class up their game. It just so happened that Chad and Joel up their game too. You know, that's just uh, that that's what makes them legendary uh, in their own right. Um, so you were on top of the world, obviously. At that point, you win that '97 title, um, and then in '98, you were literally. Uh, you know, the best in the world when very much like the two wheeled, you know, 1986 team USA motocross of nation team that was referred to as the the dream team uh, featuring David Bailey, Ricky Johnson and Johnny O'Mara. Um, you and your buddies, Tim Farr, we were just talking about them, Harold Goodman. Uh, you guys were the, the ATV racing dream team of, of, you know, the ATV side of things. You guys traveled across the pond and won one Ponte Vu. I think you had been to Ponte Vu a few times prior to that. If, if my memory serves me correct. Um, but that had to be a special moment because I believe, I mean, anybody you listen to, uh, says that that's like an impossible race to win, especially from, you know, from over here when you're from over here. So I have to believe that, you know, you and, and Timmy and Harold going and uh, winning that Ponte Vu race in 98, that had to be a pretty special memory for you too. Probably just about as special as any of them. It, it was big. I mean, we, we can back it up about what, two years, I think 96, I get a call from Alan Knowles. And Alan says, um, he says, hey, I'm sending uh, uh, Nick Grunlin to Pont de Vue to ride with a kid from uh, Germany. Okay. Um, his name Ralph, I can't remember Ralph's last name. He said, whoever was supposed to go with them, some reason couldn't go. And this is literally, he calls me at like Loretta's and says, will you go? And, and you know, I like Alan, but he you know, he's, he's kind of a competitor of ours, you know, CT mm-hmm. racing. Yeah. You know, I root for Curtis. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So we're uh, talking two two different pillars. This is, yeah. You know, it, you know and, and, uh, uh, Alan Knowles and Curtis Parks is like, uh, salt and pepper. I mean, they right. don't mix. Right. You know? I was, I was gonna, I was trying to figure out who I was going to compare it to now. I didn't really know. I mean, it's Baldwin and rage and, and rage's day or yeah. something, you know? Yeah, I mean, they, you just don't mix, but I, mm-hmm. but I thought, you know what? I mean, I could get my foot in the door or whatever. And I told Alan, I said, I'll go. I'd never been to Europe before, mm-hmm. you know, for nothing. So, right. and uh, so I went, with, I went with big Nick Grunland and I was teamed with him. And here I am 150 pounds. Nick is probably, he's 250. Okay. You know, he's a boy. Um, he was huge, but I like him. He's, and we're still buddies today, but we okay. went and, uh, and, Nick, had, I mean, he obviously he'd done some traveling or something because I mean I just went wherever he went and we flew into one airport to another airport. But anyway, we get down there and we run the race, and the bike, the bike was it ran okay. It didn't run great, but it ran okay. It, you know, it's got to make thirteen hours because you have an hour of practice. Mm-hmm. And I got on it in one of the sessions, and I was one of the fastest guys there, not the fastest guy there. And I'd go about two laps, and it's three minutes a lap, and the bike would it would quit. And I'd get off and I'd push it back. And, and the only people that's allowed to help you is, is another racer. And he has to have a bib. Okay. It's, it's so that they know he's a racer. Mm-hmm. So Nick could come out. We'd push it back to the pits and Nick could get on. He'd kickstart it right off. And he'd go a few laps and come back in. Things perfect. So I'd take off and go a couple laps and quit. So we've done this about three times. And finally, <laughs> Nick looks at me and says, Shane, you're just riding too hard. <laughs> okay. Uh- <laughs> All right. The first time I've ever been to a race where I told you riding it too hard. Right. So, yeah. You know, I mean, if, if little 150 pound me's riding it too hard, what are you doing to it? <laughs> so, but yeah, so the bike quit on us. We laughed and it was a good time. We ended up 17th or something because we ended up obviously the bike cut quitting. And there's was, it, I was think, it a stator? Did you have a stator or something weird going on? 
I believe it was a stator that okay. just went with getting hot and quit. Exactly. That's what I figured it had to be. Yeah. So, so we uh, ended up 17th and we left and, you know, and I was friends with the Ralph or whatever we left. Well, I never thought anything more about it. And then I just figured it next year that Nick would go back with, with Alan, you know, knows and charge that deal. And they would take mm-hmm. whoever they were supposed to take this year that couldn't go. Right. Uh, well, Ralph called me. I must've been middle of summer and said, Hey, you come back to Pont de Vue. And I'm like, well, I haven't heard anything from Alan you know, or, or, uh, uh, Nick Grunland. He's like, well, they're not coming. Um, he said, you want to come? I said, you got a bike. He said, no, I don't got a bike. I said, Oh, I said, great. I said, well, I'll build the bike. If I can bring a rider. He said, yeah. He said, as long as I'm on the team, he said, I'll take care of everything. So I, I called Timmy. I said, you want to go to France and do this thing? Timmy said, let's go. Of course, at that point, Lauren Duncan and, you know, he had Doug Eichner and, and uh, yeah. Mark, they were yep. dominant. And they, I mean, they were killing everybody over on a banshee. Yep. And they, they had in their mind, you're not going to outrun this banshee with no 250R. There's just no way. It's impossible. Okay. Uh, so I asked Curtis, I said, Curtis, can we outrun that banshee with a 250R? He said, with a 330 big boy kid, it'll clearly outrun that banshee. And uh, I said, well, let's go. So we go over there and uh, Timmy, me and Ralph and Timmy lays down fast lap, probably two or three seconds faster than they did on that banshee. And of course, I can't remember which one of them from Duncan. One of them said, yeah, 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 whatever. Just one lap. He said, it's got to make it 12 hours. I said, okay, well, we'll talk about it after 12 hours. So, and this would have been 97. And we, 11 hours, five minutes or something into the race, less than an hour left, transmission explodes. Oh. And we were probably, I don't know, a lap, lap, or lap, at least, we was at least a lap, maybe two laps ahead at this point. Oh, my and gosh. So we thought, well, whatever. So we lost. We ended up eighth, maybe. Okay. Uh, and so then we went back in '98. You know, it was me and Timmy, and, and for some reason Ralph couldn't. Ralph wasn't going to be able to do it. And we hooked up with a guy by the name of Terry Verstappen, who was from Belgium. And I'd been friends with. I'd met Terry a few years ago when I was over there, and he'd always wanted to help. And, you know, and and that's rare to get someone all the way over there that wants to help. Um, but Terry always wanted to help and he actually, we become good friends. And, uh, <clears throat> so Baldwin, Mark built the bike and we shipped it over. But this time we had, uh, Timmy went, was working at Tempkin research or Julie was still at Tempkin. Sure. Yep. And so tra- made his transmission gears. Um, and that's where the 250R transmission gears originally come from. Okay. So we went over and, and in 98, it was me, Timmy and Harold. And I think we won by. I don't know, two or three laps. I mean, we run away with it. Um, so that was good. And that we, and that's definitely was one of our biggest wins for sure. Oh, definitely. So, so when you race, like when you're racing for 12 hours like that, and it's a, it's a pretty like wide open ish. I mean, it's a fast track, put it that way. It's a fast track. So do you ride it? Like you're saving the bike some, uh, I mean, what is that like? I rode hard as I could ride. <laughs> Here's the like, I got one speed this fast. Yeah. And, 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 and it was different because I mean, it was, it was after our season was over. So we were in pretty good shape. We just finished Loretta's mm-hmm. uh, the track. It, it is, it, it was, you know, it was over three minutes a lap, uh, but it was wide. I mean, it was, you know, four lanes wide all the way around it with right. some speed. You're hitting some of these jumps, 50, 60 miles an hour. I mean, you're rolling when you hit them. Right. Um, but it was, but you had, you, you got pretty good airflow. So going down the long straightaways, 
Um, in the daytime, it was it, sometimes it was warm, but you know, four hours of it was through the night. So it was cool at night. So you weren't, I mean, it wasn't like you was over here at hundred degrees and you know, it was real technical. It was fast and it was wide open. So you could ride pretty hard. Um, the problem was, was pit stops and pit strategy and knowing when to, when to pit, when not to pit. And, and there was a lot to learn because anytime you went into the pits, when you cut in the pits, it was, it was over. If you just pulled in, got gas, went back out, it was over a minute. Okay. So just to get gas and switch riders. Mm-hmm. So, cause you didn't just pull off the side of the track, get gas like a GNCC and pull back on the track. You had to go all the way through pit road, which is all the way down along straight away. And there was like 85 or 90 teams. Jeez. So uh, it was, it was fun. And, and we went back in 99, I think 98, 98, went back in 99 and, um, led it the whole way and broke with an hour to go broke a transmission again oh, that's got to be the worst feeling after you know you ride for a, half a day and then to to come up short because your stuff let go that's got to be the worst feeling so it's, it's bad enough when you race for 15 minutes or 20 minutes and your stuff breaks at the end you know well and, and we seized we went over there with a brand new bike and we seized in practice okay. so and we had the bike from last year terry brought it back to us just the way it was and they washed, cleaned it up, and brought it back. And so we were in a hurry. So we, and so what we done, and, and after we done it, we, we knew we screwed up. We just took the motor out of the other bike that we just won with the year before, had 13 hours on it, stuck it in that bike, oh. and we took off with it. And it made it another 12 hours. And we should have just swapped top ends. Sure. Um, so you would have had a virgin, virgin new bottom end with, yeah, instead, so- of, instead of one with all that time on it already. Yeah, and we swapped the whole motor because it was pretty much quicker and easier to do at the track. And I understand. And, oh yeah, yeah. You know, it, that, but it's it's amazing that you could put that kind of time. I mean, that thing had you're looking at 20, 20 some hours, 25, 26, 27 hours. I mean, wrung out hard. <laughs> Rob was going to um, say riding them as hard, basically on that track with you guys riding it. That's as hard as they're ever going to be ridden. To think that they that it lasted that long, as long as it did, that's a pretty yeah. amazing thought uh, by itself. Yeah. But so. yeah, but thinking about um obviously amazing memories there and thinking about uh you know kind of that transition you're talking about engines now, you know on the previous two episodes we discussed the the introduction of um you know kind of the four stroke era with Corey Ellis and you know we're kind of at that point in in the story right now as far as timing goes uh with years or whatever of the introduction of those four strokes um you know cuz you're talking about 98 99 but um you know with with you like I feel like you stayed on the the Sparks 250R as long as anyone because I know I mean there's photos out there I, I saw them in the last couple of days here of you still on the the Sparks 250R like in 2003 and that would have been you know five plus years later um, that you were still on the 250R so uh, it felt like you stayed on the the 250R as long as anybody did is that is that true? Well, Jeremiah did too, but okay. I, I stayed on it. We, we actually transferred, I bought a, you know, when I never did get a Yamaha. Okay. Um, I was sponsored by the local Honda dealership, uh, Summersville Honda down my buddy, Gene Smithson owned it, lived about an hour from me. So I got all my Honda stuff from him. So when the Honda dirt bike came out, we did a Honda. Okay. I bought a brand new day. It came out, took it to Walsh. And I'm trying to think if Mike was already down in Florida at Live Oak or if he was still in, in Connecticut. I think he was in Florida, but I took it to Mike and I, and if I, and I'm, you'd have to ask Mike, but I think it's the first hybrid Honda that he'd done. Okay. So he built the bike for me and I can't remember what year it was. Um, but 
UPS was on strike. So when Wayne does all my shocks, you know, but he's in California. Yeah. So having to build me shocks and put them on an airplane, you know, United, United airlines or whatever, just like there was a passenger on it. He would put it in baggage claim. Sure. And so we drive over to the airport to get our shocks. That's just what we done when UPS went out of business. And okay. it was a big money to fly a set of shocks across. <laughs> but sure it is. Thing, you know, if they left over there, if they left it, you know, noon, hell, we get them about three hours, four hours, you know? Okay. So, but yeah, we, so, so we did that and Mike built the first one and I wrote it and he built it, but between the bottom frame rail and the upper frame rail, but the Honda motor was kind of tall. Mm-hmm. So it was, he, he brought everything up another inch. I just wasn't real comfortable on it. And we were in Florida at Ray Howard's house, a guy that sponsored me in, in St. Pete I lived with. And, and uh, Farron Dukes was with me. I don't know if you know Farron. Nope. He was the mechanic for Wimmer over at Suzuki okay. for a couple. And uh, Farron was there. And, of course, I grew up with Farron. Farron raced three-wheelers and four-wheelers, too. And he's from Florida. Okay. And uh, so Farron said to Mike, and Mike was there, says, can you not make this upper rail removable? Mike's like, well, I don't know. He said, well, yeah, just make it removable. Make it bolt in and out. So Mike's like, we can do that. So Mike went back build another frame with a removable upper frame rail. So we'd get the, get the head and stuff off of it. Okay. And it low, lowered the thing an inch and he got it done. And we brought it to, he, we, we put it together for high point that year. I didn't, we didn't even powder coat it or nothing. Just put it straight together. Okay. And we rolled it out at high point and I won, I think I got fourth in the first moto and won the second moto with it. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, it was, I think the motor was bone stock, just a bone stock Honda. Okay. And, uh, he uh, so he had to redo the whole frame, but once Mike lowered that frame upper frame rail, it's I was game. Okay. So then, did you did you stay on those quads then for the foreseeable future, or did you go back to the two fifty R? I went back to the two fifty R. I wrote it the rest of that year. I wrote okay. it at Loretta. Because I because I because I, I, I can specifically remember a two fifty R picture of you. I think at Southwick in. 2003. So that's why I was like, okay, I was thinking to myself, okay, there's not many 250 hours left at that point, but you are one I, of them at that point. I did. When, when we went back to Southwick in 03, I got back on my two stroke. Okay. Um, okay. That it, makes sense. The year, the year before in 02, I rode the Honda uh, 450. Well, okay. that went, a guy called me and this is kind of, a guy called me from Florida. Uh, he lived down in South Florida. And wanted he wanted to, that bike. I wonder if I'd sell it to him. So I said, "Yeah, I mean, I'll sell it to you for thirty grand." You know, that's a lot of money back then. Oh heck yeah, it is. He said, "I'll take it." Well, and I, and I thought about it, and I thought, "Well, I'm going to unload this thing because and this would must have been 2002, probably." Because at this 2002 it had to be 2002 because I was on that two stroke and three, mm-hmm. but I knew because I'd went to Ball Hall the year before to race the ball 1000. And when I, when I landed in California, Timmy called me and said, and Timmy and Timmy was on my ball team. And it was me and Timmy, Harold Goodman, Wes Miller. Um, and Timmy calls and says, Hey, he says, I, I don't know if I'm going to ride the ball. And I said, what do you mean? I thought Timmy was still in Ohio, but he was already in California. He okay. says, I ran and dislocated my shoulder. And he says, I don't think we're going to ride. He said, but we've got another problem. He says, can you come do some testing? for us. He said, I'm up at HPCC at Honda Proving Grounds out in the Mojave Desert. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I said, well, 
yeah, but for what? He said, I can't tell you. He said, just meet me here tomorrow morning. So, so you, so so pause the story because I know where this is going. So you unloaded that hybrid knowing what was coming eventually. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I knew what. So I knew that bike's not worth nothing the next year. Right. Yeah. Get rid of it while the, you know, while it's stock is high. Yeah. And so, and, 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 and with, yeah, this is the crazy part. This, I had heard from this guy since that bought that hybrid for me. I don't know, 20 years since I sold it to him in 2000, whatever year that was two, oh, okay. three. Yeah. I, that guy, I get a message the other day on Instagram from a kid and it's his son. And he, and he said, Hey, you remember my dad? And I said, yeah, I do. He said, he wants to know if you got any of those four wheelers, like that one you had, he wants to buy. I'm like, well, I don't have nothing like that now. Well, if you got anything <laughs> that he wants to buy it from you, you always had the best stuff. And I'm like, I don't got anything now. So, <laughs> Oh my gosh. You sure wish you did for 30 grand. Yeah, I'd sell it for 30 grand today. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. But, but yeah. So, so I unloaded that bike. I, I knew what was coming. And I said, mm-hmm. I'm just going to jump on my two stroke and ride it. Cause I was, I was still pretty good on my two strokes. And a lot of people didn't like the two strokes because they didn't have any bottom in it. Mm-hmm. But Curtis had worked and worked and worked for me because I didn't like the two strokes either. Cause they didn't have any bottom in Curtis had got our stuff. that did had good bottom in. And then when okay. it came out, well, I didn't really see any disadvantage. I thought there was a lot of advantages to the two stroke. I mean, I went to Southwick, me and Jeremiah, and I come from eighth or ninth up to, I think I got up to second at one point in, at Southwick and then I got tired and ended up, I ended up third in one moto and fourth in the other moto. But I mean, you figure there was, that was, you know, on a, I was, Jeremiah was, was the only other one on a two stroke, I think. Sure. Okay. So, yep. Um, I didn't, I didn't feel the two stroke was a disadvantage to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, like okay. Bird, Joe Bird always says, Oh yeah. You know, two strokes didn't have no power. I couldn't ride. Them. I said, Joe, which is harder to ride. He says the two stroke. I said, well, that, that's why you couldn't ride. You didn't have no talent. <laughs> so the talent ride to the two-stroke, Joe. So, right. Yeah, I'm sure he loves hearing that. <laughs> uh, we, we go at it pretty good. Oh, I'm sure. The comment like that opens up a whole can of worms when you're, uh, yeah. when you're sitting with yeah. Joe Bird, I'm sure. Yeah, he was a good rider. Mm-hmm. As the number one podcast in ATV racing, it's only right that we partner with the industry leaders in suspension tuning. Insert Impact Solutions. Impact Solutions is a full-service ATV and side-by-side suspension center specializing in the revalving and service of your motocross and off-road suspension. With over 25 years of elite-level knowledge, experience, and testing with riders of all ages and ability levels, Casey Greek, Jay Goble, and the Impact crew strive to exceed the client's expectations for service and setup. Impact Solutions is the official Elka Suspension Service Center of the United States, offering unmatched product knowledge and experience. Whether you're in need of service, parts, warranty, sales, or technical support, Impact Solutions has you covered. Head over to ImpactSolutionsATV.com or give them a call today. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. The following message is brought to you by Manscaped.com. The Manscaped engineering team has outdone themselves this time, creating the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, now available for purchase in the U.S. and Canada. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, an official sponsor of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, with this exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0 and I am blown away. This thing is next level. 
What sets this trimmer apart from all the rest? The Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. It features a new multi-functioning on-off switch with travel lock for those of us who like to travel. And my favorite, the new trimmer allows you to customize your trim with four different guard lengths and upgrade from its predecessor that only featured two. If you're listening, you know that good tools are a must, so wait no more to get the best tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using code DIGGINGDEEP20. The Digging Deep ATVMX podcast is also sponsored by DP Brakes, a longtime supporter of ATV racing and the world leader in centered brake technology. DP has been dominating the ATV world for decades, supporting the best four-wheeled racers on the planet. 2021's impressive lineup includes Joel Hetrick and Jeffrey Rastrelli of the Phoenix Racing Team, myself, Cody Jansen, and my back-to-back national championships, Baldwin Motorsports, Ford Brothers Racing, Nick Janusa, Wesley Wolf, and many more, including all of the top 14 GNCC Series pros, led by the champ Walker Fowler, Bryson Neal, Cole Richardson, Jared McClure, and Chris Borich. These top riders continue to appreciate the high performance and impressive durability that their DP brakes have to offer, products that ultimately help place them on the top of the podium. Available at www.dp-brakes.com, purchase at your local dealer, or message the show for their contact info today. What are you waiting for? Join the best ATV riders in the world on DP brakes. 15 years into the brand's existence, Factory 43 is back with us and continuing to make huge waves in the ATV world. For the second consecutive season, Factory 43 is the official aluminum parts choice of the Phoenix Racing ATV team providing their state-of-the-art Evo Nerf bars, MX-style front bumpers, and grab bars for some of the fastest riders on the planet. If you're in the market to upgrade your Nerf bars, bumpers, or grab bars, head over to factory43atv.com to see their full line of products available for all makes and models. Want to be just like Joel Hetrick and Jeffrey Rostrelli riding with Factory 43's industry-leading products? Head over to factory43atv.com today. Success in the ATV MX world is similar to what creates financial success as well. The right people, the right advice, and more importantly, hard work and the benefit of an ongoing relationship as situations change and adversity is experienced. Do you have the right financial advisor to help you reach your goals? Haymower Financial Group can create a personalized, goal-based plan to help your family prepare for whatever life brings. Call me, Scott Haymower, at Haymower Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services at 920-338-8150. That's 920-338-8150. Offices located in beautiful De Pere, Wisconsin, with registrations and clients nationwide. So tell me about that then, um, because I knew that you had something to do with the testing of the, the TRX then eventually. So tell me about that, because obviously, so where you were going, and I hated that I, that I, uh, that I stopped you in your tracks, but I could see where this was going. Um, but then did you kind of fill in for Timmy when Timmy was hurt? Uh, with the, the testing of that, the, the TRX? Yeah, that, that's where it was going. I was coming to California. Timmy, as far as I knew, was supposed to be on a plane to California to, okay. to get ready to go to Baja. We had just built – actually, Baldwin had built us a, an XR650. Um, I think it was a Lone Star chassis, and we put an XR650 dirt bike motor in it to go okay. race Baja 1000 on. Sure. So 
I didn't know where, I don't even know how the bike got to California. I don't know if Mark shipped it or what, but somehow the bike was out at Wayne Meridian's. PEP's getting shocks down on it. And that's where we always met was at Wayne's. Um, we pretty much, Wayne had a house in front of his shop and we just pretty much all crashed there at Wayne's. Okay. So when I got to the airport, Wayne picked me up and we went back to his place and Timmy had called and said, I need you to come, I need you to come out here and you can't say anything to anybody. He said, just borrow Wayne's Corvette and come out here. So next morning I drove out there and of course, if you, I know if you've, if you've ever been there, you got to go through one gate, full security. You go up to another gate, full security, and then they'll put you in a vehicle and they'll take you out to where you're going. Okay. So they took us out, you know, you're not even supposed to, cause they got road courses and, and they got a lot of other stuff going on out there. And, you know, there's cars going around the road, the road course, it's got, you know, leathers on them. So you can't tell what they are, who they belong to or nothing. So they took us out to the outdoor motocross, which was right beside the supercross track. And Timmy, uh, Timmy, I was with Timmy at that point and uh, I got out and I walked up and it was the TRX 450. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know Timmy. Timmy had been working for these guys for I don't know how long. Um, but obviously Timmy, Timmy knew about it. He didn't say anything to me. So I walked up and I'm like, what is this? And he says, you can't say anything. So that's when I got introduced to, the, to that bike. And, and that must have been 2002 probably. The bike was, didn't come out till four mm-hmm. and it was late when it came out. So, yeah, so that's when I got introduced to Honda and how they tested and okay. the stuff. Well, so that had to be a pretty cool, you know, a pretty cool project to be a part of, um, because in, oh, so in oh three, um, you, you know, you would, would have already been, you know, doing the testing of the TRX, but in oh three, when that YFZ 450, you know, kind of took the industry by storm, like I said, as, as Corey kind of told us, um, you know, that was, that was the quad to have, everybody had a Yamaha all of a sudden, but then when the, the TRX comes out in oh four, it seemed like you know, pretty quickly, uh, that thing became the quad of choice for many people. So that had to be, you know, kind of cool to be a part of that thing because, um, just as the Yamaha kind of, you know, uh, overtook the industry was all the buzz. As soon as the Honda came out, the Honda did the exact same thing and then seemed to overtake the Yamaha. Yeah, it was crazy because we knew at that point that what was about to happen, the economy was good. ATV numbers were up. Mm -hmm. Uh, they were wanting the, at this point, they'd already, they were splitting the, the, the motocross TT up. They were splitting it up. Yeah. Um, Timmy was already, Timmy and Doug was already getting help from Suzuki. So, um, and, and when we were testing Chris Hawks, which was kind of the, our go-to guy at, at, at Honda, he was, Bruce Ogilvy was the boss at okay. Honda. For, okay. But Chris worked for Bruce and obviously Timmy had brought me into the thing and Every time you'd ride the bike and get off, you know, Chris would say, you think this is better than the Yamaha? And this is like 2002 or something. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know Yamaha's got a bike. I don't know what you're talking about. Yamaha's got coming out with it. And I'm like, I didn't know Honda had one. You know, know, we'd heard rumors years that they were coming out. Every year you hear that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it comes out at 400EX. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We got a trail banger. Yeah. But but these guys use... Um, so many different parts from different companies, you know, like they buy brakes or, or rotors or something from this company. And, and this company tells, you know, tells Yamaha, this is what Honda's using. And Honda's like, oh, they're building something. So they know, they have an idea. They just haven't seen the, the finished project. So we knew that Yamaha was coming with something. Uh, at least Honda knew it. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't yeah. know it. Right, but, right. And they knew it because they kept asking me. And, and of course, then, you know, Timmy's like, 
he's hurt. And Timmy's like, you need to tell him I need to change transmission gearing and this and that. And, and so we did, we talked about stuff during testing and carburetors and stuff. And it was crazy because the transmission gearing and stuff, I don't think they ever did change the carburetor um, that we wanted on it. Um, they didn't put on it until 06, oh, you know, the sure. 0405. They wouldn't put, they wouldn't put the good carburetor on in 0405 because it was, it stuck in cold weather, they said. Okay. So, so they held that carburetor back to, oh, I don't know what year it was, 06 or something to, to one of the first updates. Uh, I think they updated that bike in 04, 05, 06 maybe. I think 06, was. yeah. 06 was when they did the kind of the revamp. That must have been the FCR carb, right? Yeah. The F, we wanted the FCR carburetor on the original, but okay. they wouldn't do it. Duck. They okay. said it would, it would stick in cold weather. So they, they put it on at 06. But I think they redone either some rollers in the carburetor or a different cable or something. Mm-hmm. So that was the FCR carburetor was way better. Mm-hmm. Um, so then so. when, when you, when you, you know, cause obviously inevitably you saw, or, you know, you said you didn't have a Yamaha, but you saw the Yamaha, maybe you rolled the Yamaha at some point in 2003. Did you know when the Honda was coming that that was a better bike? No, I mean, okay. I, but I rode with the Honda was bone stock. Okay. And it early and I mean, it was in development stage. And if you look at a, a, one of those bikes in development stage, they look like junk. I mean, no, nothing is nothing is final. I mean, the Kickstarter looks like something they whittled off of a tree. Okay. Um, <laughs> just nothing is nothing is polished. I mean, it's all there. I mean, we never even knew what the nose cone was going to look like. We knew what the fin front and fenders was going to look like, but okay. we didn't know what the when it when they finally released the pictures of it. I'm like, that's what it looks like. Okay. But while we're waiting on that thing. Yamaha drops the bomb and it comes out mm-hmm. uh, and a buddy of mine that we raced at the local track. He, he calls me up and says, Hey, I'm going to buy one of these Yamahas if you'll race it. I said, okay, whatever. So he went and bought one. <clears throat> we got the first Yamaha that showed up and I took it up and um, took it to Hauser and, and they built a arms and go for it. And Wayne put some shocks on it. And uh, I really like the original Yamaha. Um, and I rode it a lot. So, and then, you know, we knew all the factory stuff was coming. The factory support stuff was coming. And then, mm-hmm. of course, you know, I talked to Bruce and Bruce is like this first year, Timmy's been with us. You know, he's, he's won all these championships. We're going to, we're only going to help Timmy. So I was kind of left out in the cold. Um, and then Yamaha called and, and I ended up doing Yamaha that first year in mm-hmm. 2004, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, because, um, yeah, I knew you'd become a Yamaha sponsored rider in all four because Corey talked about it. Corey was telling us that, and he was really hoping for that ride. Um, you know, after working closely with Yamaha at the second half of, of 2003, you know, when he kind of rode that bike and raced that bike a little bit when they first dropped it and he kind of debuted that thing. Um, but yeah, he said that Yamaha ended up going with you and Jeremiah, uh, you know, uh, Corey did say that, uh, with Jeremiah, you know, being the MX champ in all three and you being the TT specialist, he could see why, you know, you two got the ride. Um, but, but he was really hoping for that ride. If, if anybody listened to the last episode, they'll, they would have heard that. Yeah. I was, I was kind of surprised that Corey didn't get help. And I was kind of surprised that they, they, they it's funny because they sent contracts. It was three, it was three of us. There was Bill Bounce for the GNCCs. There was Jeremiah for motocross and me for TT. And, and I told them when they helped me for TT, I said, I'm going to ride the motocrosses. And they said, that's fine. We'll pay you win bonuses for motocross. Um, and they gave us bikes. But our contracts were exactly the same, Jeremiah's, mine, and Bill Balances. And I know that because they sent me Bill Balances. 
Okay. <laughs> I get it in the mail and I open it up and it's Billy's. And I'm like, so I, 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 I can't even remember who was our boss. Keith McCarty, I think was his name. Okay. He's uh, still, he's still there to this day. Yeah. So Keith, so it was Keith McCarty, I, I believe is who it was. So I called him up and I said, Hey, I said, everything on this contract is what you said it was going to be. I said, but it's, it says it's Bill Balance on it's got Billy Balance's name on it. Is, is that a big deal? Let me just mark his name out, put my name on it. He said, Oh no, no, don't, don't, don't do that. He says, send it back, we'll send you another. So obviously, I mean, I don't know who had mine, where Jeremiah had it or Bill had it. <laughs> okay. Somebody but they were at least I knew we were all the same. Yeah, so, good to know, good to know that I, it's an even playing field for sure. So yeah, it was so that was kind of cool. And I did get that deal and and I liked that Yamaha a lot. It was a it was a good bike and it fit me well. Um, and I ran good on it. I started the season, I think Glenn Hill and I ran fourth. Um, and I think we went to the next race at, uh, Gatorback. And I think I was fourth or fifth on it there. Okay. So, so yeah, you hit the ground running that season, but you got, didn't you get hurt in all four? I did. Yeah. Because I, I found somewhere where you called, it must've been, yeah, it would have been the end of all four or end ish of all four when you won the Paducah TT. And you called that, that Paducah TT win in 2004, the greatest race of your career. And I assumed that that had something to do with kind of coming back from that injury. Cause I knew you got injured earlier in 2004. Yeah, I did. I ran, well, they'd split it up. When we went to Glen Helen for the opener in, in 04, they decided that we're going to take the top, the top 10 were supposed to be seated or something. I can't remember how it was. Okay. And they decided for the pro class, well, they decided to take the top five out of the pro-am, no, the pro production pro class, which the year before they had a production class. Mm -hmm. Yes, they did. Yep. And then they took a top five out of the pro. And I'd finished sixth that year in a pro because I'd missed, I'd I don't know if I'm, I think I, I, I broke my wrist or something and missed a race. And so I, and I come back and finished sixth by just a couple points. But then they took, they ended up only taking nine and because Doug, had won one class. He'd won the production class maybe and then finished second or something in the pro class. So they okay. ended up on and I and I was the would have been the tenth guy. And they said, no, you got you still gotta run this qualifier. So I had to line up and run the qualifier. And uh, which they did that on a Saturday, uh, which was I mean, I don't know, it was me and I'm sure probably at that point Dana Creech and Jason Newberg and I don't know who all was in it, but I won it ran away with it and then uh to get in the race but it was uh i did those first two races which was gator back and ran good and then i stayed in florida me and timmy and we went over to a place called pax mm -hmm. which yeah. is where we sand, sand track yes we, we rode there all the time mm -hmm. and uh we'd been riding there for a couple three years at this point and we went over there and we ride and also we ride with motocrosses motorcycle bikes and uh we was going across to jump on the, on the end where you come in, pull in, there was a, you, you, you kind of went down, you turn left and there was a, ta a small tabletop. And then after it was a single, and then there was a big banked wall turn. Yeah. It's still there. Yeah. And, and we were jumping. Well, I was that day. Timmy wasn't doing it that day, but I was doing it. And I was coming out of the corner and I was jumping the tabletop and clearing the single and using the bank turn. Well, you know, and we didn't always do it, but you know, I was doing it that day. It felt good. And just mm -hmm. as I went to go across it beside a dirt bike, he kicked up a rock and it hit me in the, it hit me in my right hand, knocked my hand off the throttle. And so the bike goes to flip and I jumped off the bike and it was on the right side. And, and you know, it's all that black deep sand. It and is. I thought, yeah. 
I thought, well, it's, it's not going to hurt. And I landed. And I, the only thing I was worried about was making sure that the four-wheeler didn't hit me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it broke both my legs. Um, so, I and I didn't, I mean, as soon as I hit, and I didn't know that until I tried to get up and then I couldn't stand. Well, then Timmy comes over. He takes me to the hospital. And uh, <clears throat> it broke both legs, but the right leg was, was shattered. It broke both bones. And uh, they did like, I think they did seven or eight surgeries on my leg. But um, that pretty much ended my motocross career. I didn't ride a whole lot of motocross after that because I didn't have any movement in my right, my right ankle. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Okay. So that obviously, um, that obviously had a big, big part to do with that Paducah win being so special. I'm assuming. Cause I remember, and I remember being there, I was at that event, but I remember the story being that, you know, you could barely walk, but you were able to win that race that night. Um, at least that's how I remember it. Yeah. It was my second race back. I'd missed pretty much the whole TT series. It was the second race back. I went to one before that, which was in uh, Elizabeth County, Elizabeth or somewhere, somewhere in North Carolina. Yeah. Yep. North Carolina. Um, I can't remember Elizabeth, North Carolina, I think Elizabeth town or something. Yeah. yeah. And I won, I think I won my heat race and I was on the front row for the, for the main. It was my first race back and I jumped to start. So that's how that night went. I came back, had to start on the third row or whatever, come back and got, I think I come back and got like six or something from the third row. Wasn't okay. what I was, uh, I still couldn't hardly walk. Um, and then we went to Paducah, which was a track that we'd been to before that I'd won at a couple of times, big, nice track. And uh, it was the Jack uh, Meadows Memorial race. Mm-hmm. And I, and growing up, I was a Jackie Meadows fan and, um, Jack, when Jackie had, you know, come back and raced a little bit, I'd become good friends with Jack. He called me all the time. So that race was special because, of, you know, obviously it had a lot of meaning to it. And then I, to win it, I didn't think I had a shot at winning it, but I ended up winning it, which I think I was first. Timmy was second. I think Keith Little was third, but uh, it just one of those, that, you know, I won. I don't know. I probably shouldn't have. That's, that's how I, I remember it with, uh, with you three. Um, and, uh, so we were there because Jackie was riding my dad's Yamaha that night. And, uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I was diehard little, you know, Shane hit fan at the time. So I was, I was pulling for you, you know? And, uh, and I just, I remember that night, like, like it was yesterday. Um, but I'm assuming, you know, with all that, with the indus uh, with the injury, uh, you know, the Yamaha was still a, basically a new bike at that time. And I think that would have been your first win right on the, the, the full factory sponsorship. And it was a hard fought race. Uh, so I'm assuming all of those factors made it special in the end, made it as special as it, as it was. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was the first win on the four stroke, which a lot of people said, you know, when, when, when we switched to four strokes, those guys were like, well, Shane's done now. He can't ride nothing but that two stroke. <laughs> but you know, it's, what's crazy about it was, you know, like Keith Little's like, you know, Curtis Dunn, Keith's motors is the same as he did mine. Okay. You know, Keith, I want Shane's motor, you know, he's teacher's pet. He gets all the good stuff. So, um, Curtis said, okay. He said, you can have it. He said, because I ran them both on the dinos and yours made like two more horsepower than Shane's did. You can have it. So <laughs> oh, that's but, funny. So did that, did that injury, um, did, did that have something to do with, you know, not having that Yamaha ride the next year? Because in 2005, you were on a Z 400. So, so how did that all happen? I don't know. I just, you know, I, I don't know that I ever called Yamaha back. I mean, I got hurt and I knew that I missed half the year. Um, Keith had won the Keith. I think Keith ended up winning the TT championship. Keith or Timmy. I don't know who won it, 
Okay. But so I knew probably wasn't going to get it because I ended up only running three or four races and I was still hurt. Um, they didn't call me and I didn't call them. I just assumed it was going away. And uh, I didn't, you know, at that point I was like, well, if I race, I race. If I don't, I don't. And then I talked to Jeremiah on the phone or somewhere. I can't remember. And Jeremiah's like, you need to get a Suzuki. I said, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want a Suzuki or not. Jeremiah was like, yeah, get a Suzuki. And I thought about it for a few days and he said, I'll, Jeremiah was like, I'll call him and I'll call Pat Alexander and I'll tell him guys, you need a Suzuki. And I said, oh, I don't know, Jeremiah. He said, or, or call Wayne Henson. And I kicked it around there for a few weeks and I thought, ah, whatever, you know, I, I'll try it. So I called Wayne Henson up and I says, is there any chance you can get me some Suzuki's? Wayne said, oh yeah, I'll get you whatever you want. I said, oh. so he, he said, I'll get you, I'll get you four or five bikes and, I'll send you about 10 motors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've heard enough of those stories that, uh, yeah, that, yeah you so, needed, you needed 10 motors. <laughs> so they sent me a few bikes. They sent them to my local dealer and I picked them up, took them home and got them ready and, and, uh, went. And I think I won, I think I won a race or two on them. I was going to say, I knew for a fact, um, that you had won at least a race or two on that Z 400 against four fifties and, and on a TT Shane, that's a serious accomplishment. <laughs> I might be the last one to ever win a national on a Z honestly, honestly, probably because you know, the next thing went to four, they went to the LTR. So, yeah, yes, uh, yes, yes. Well, in, in nobody, I mean, I don't know how to say this p- the politically correct way, but nobody was going to choose to ride a Z 400 over a TRX or a YFZ. So you had to be getting them or something to run them. So nobody else would have been running them other than, other than you pretty much, or the, you know, the factory Suzuki guys, but um, yeah, you probably were the last one. <laughs> well, there was, I, so I built one for motocross. And, and that's the bike I practiced on all the time. That's the bike I sold to Joel or, or uh, his, his, his dad. That we um, see the, we see the pictures of him with the big yeah. number five on the back. Yeah. Oh, but Joel wrote it forever with, with my decals, my number, my name, everything. <laughs> on it. Um, it's kind of funny. Those pictures pop up and still got my name on it. You got mm-hmm. Joel riding it. It's, I know it. Yeah. Um, and then the TT bike, I built it. And of course, I, I'm pretty sure I probably sent it to Walsh and he did the frame and of course did the a arms and Mike, Mike, Mike took, Mike took good care of him. He, anything I wanted Mike ever did. We were buddies racing up and uh, it, we'd become friends. And then when he started building stuff, Mike, you know, he was the go-to guy cause he really came after Lager and he was close and we were buddies and mm-hmm. Mike was the guy that would build you anything you want. He didn't care. He just built it. Yeah. And so, uh, and uh, so Mike redid it. We had, it had all titanium stuff on all titanium bolts, titanium a arms and everything before anybody else had that stuff. And uh, so I, it was a good bike and, Obviously, Curtis could make those motors rip, but the transmissions just exploded. Mm-hmm. And the cranks, I mean, the, the bottom ends just couldn't take it. And uh, so then they sent Paul Turner to the races with me to help me because we was having to change them between races. Right, yeah. yeah. So Paul came and, and uh, he was in the shop. We were some TT race somewhere. And Paul Turner's down there changing that motor or whatever. And, of course, I'm not winning every race like I used to. You know, when I was, when I was, before I got hurt, when I was on the two stroke, I, you know, I had, Logan was with me, my oldest son, and he was about six years old at this point. He's standing there and Paul's changing the motor in the trailer or whatever as quick as he can. I got all titanium bolts so that the heads are different, completely different than what Paul normally does. Okay. Paul turns out and says, what are you doing, Logan? He says, why can't my dad have his red bike back? He was a lot better on that red bike. (laughs) You know, Paul's full factory Suzuki, you know? Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's funny. Um, so, so you bring up the red bike though, 
because then that must've been the next season that you were on Hondas. You, cause you finished your, your, you know, your TT flat track, you know, you finished your ATV career, basically racing on Hondas. Right. So, and I, I believe wouldn't have there been like factory affiliation. Like how did that happen? Well, when I talked to Wayne, he said, we've got an LTR coming next year. It's going to be a 450. We'll give you these LTZs to run, do what you can with them. And next year we'll get you 450s. Um, okay. Well, and that was really my plan was to ride the, the, would stay with Suzuki. I started with, I started on Suzuki. I kind of wanted to quit on Suzuki's. I, well, I that, end up. That, riding, that's where your heart was, you know, from, yeah. from little boy back in West Virginia. Yeah. My local dealer was a Suzuki dealer. He was, and we're, we're still to this day, really close. Okay. Um, but so that was the, the, really the way I wanted to go. Well, everything changed when, when Bruce called me and that was late. Oh, five, maybe he called me and said, Hey, he said, you want to do ball hall this year? And I, and I, I did, I liked ball. I like going down to Mexico and doing ball hall. Okay. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll do ball hall, but I'm, I'm, I'm riding for Suzuki. I, I can't really go ride a Honda and ride for Suzuki. He says, I'll give you a two year contract. If you want to come, if you want to come do ball hall. And then we'll give you bikes and parts and, you know, stuff next year. And uh, I said, well, okay, whatever. So then I switched to Honda. Well, and, know, how, and, what, and how could you pass up? I mean, the TRX was a good bike and Bruce, you had, you know, done a little testing and stuff with that back in the day. So probably was a hard deal to pass up. I'm assuming. It was. And I, and I liked Baja and, and Bruce was a straight guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he told you you were getting, you know, $222 for something, you got $222, not $223. Sure. That's what you got. You said. And so I said, okay, whatever, I'll do it. So I, he said, I need you to go down to Mexico. I need you to get to California and get this bike to go to Mexico. And I said, okay. So I said, can I bring someone with me for a mechanic? He said, yes. Yeah. So I brought a local kid, Travis Shaw, who lives here in Buchanan. He was about 18 years old. Never, never been out of, I don't think he ever, he raced the GNCCs, but never, I don't know if he'd ever been on an airplane. Okay. So I took, so I took him with me to Mexico, but we went to Honda, uh, picked up a bike, uh, went to Bruce's office and picked up a brand new bike. He gave us a brand new bike, had to go put it together and he went to Mexico to pre-run. And uh, so that, that's how Honda did. It was a two-year deal mm-hmm. um, just for TTs. So we did those two years and that was pretty much it, you know? I mean, yeah. The, yeah. So you, and, but through those two years, I mean, you were still winning races. I don't remember. Did, I don't remember if you won the championship. I know it was close. Maybe you and Harold. Well, I, uh, I can't remember the first year. I wrecked uh, in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. That's where it was. Elizabeth, Elizabeth City, North City. Carolina. I wrecked, okay. I wrecked. I was doing good. Wrecked and broke my neck. Okay. And I was I was in a halo for about eight months. So I missed oh, the wow. end of the season. And then I kind of thought I was going to quit. I, thought, I don't really want to quit like that. So, and okay. that and that, that whole wreck thing was my fault. We were, I had the bike working good. And I wanted the bike to get lower to the ground. Um, so I could get it to corner a little bit better. So I, and I wanted Wayne to shorten my front shocks. And Wayne's like, Shane, we can't shorten them anymore without the bike hitting the ground. I said, you, you've got to be kidding. He says, no. I said, okay, whatever. So I, we took it in the trailer. And I said, cut them bump stops off on the front. And they said, well, I, I told my mechanic, I said, cut those bump stops. Cut, don't cut them completely off. Take about half inch off the top of them. So we took them off. And I'd stand on the bumper and jump up and down. I'm like, it's not hitting the ground. It'd be good. And I told Wayne, I thought, well, I better tell Wayne. So I told Wayne, I said, Wayne, I cut the bump stops off. He said, that thing is going to hit the ground it will stick i said no wayne i jumped up and down on the bumper it's not going to hit trust me he said i'm telling you when you go across the jump you better be on the back seat because it's going to stick well 
first lap, you know, we come out through there and I, I didn't get a real good start. We went across a jump and, and you landed on the front hard because as soon as you land, you had to turn left. And as soon as it hit the ground, that thing stuck, instantly stuck. And it, it, it knocked me out cold, broke my neck. And so that year was done. So oh boy. Hey, it, when, Wayne, when Wayne says something, he's typically right. <laughs> yeah, I know. I should have listened. <laughs> hindsight's, you know, hindsight's 2020. I'm like every racer, you know, I, you just want just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, and now it's, that's the, it's the little things that make the difference. Mm-hmm. So that was, yeah. that was a difference. <laughs> yeah. So, so then that last season, you said that uh, you didn't want to go out that way. So I'm assuming that was the motivation to come back that last season and, yeah. uh, you know, kind of finish things on your own terms. I came back and raced uh, that next year and we went into Danville was, was doing okay. And another kid got into me, knocked me over the berm and, um, which was in the heat race, which made I had to go to the Concy and run the Concy or whatever. I'd start dead last. And now you're back, on the back, yep. Back at Danville, a track nobody can pass on, and ended up seventh or eighth or whatever. And then I come all the way back, and Harold was leading the points. Come all the way back, and I actually got the point lead by like one point going into the last race. And we were in Illinois or somewhere. I don't even remember where we was at. And it was basically whoever beat who at the last race was going to win the championship. Okay. Um, we were basically tied. And so we went in the last race. I won the heat race, ran away with it. It was way faster than Harold. And we went in and we made some changes to the bike and we basically screwed it up. Went out and I think I ran third, second or third. Harold finished right in front of me. I couldn't pass him. I was same, we were the same speed, but I couldn't pass him. And uh, so Harold ended up beating me by, I think it was two points. And, uh, which, I mean, it wasn't a bad year. I mean, I lost to Harold. Harold's pretty good. Um, so at that point I was just, I was done and I was over it and I was just, I was tired of just being gone all the time, you know? It, yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask that as if you were ready to be done at that point. Cause you've been doing this whole song and dance for a long, long time. Yeah. It was probably at that point, it was probably 20 years that I'd been chasing this thing up and down the road and uh, counting, counting these points that never really mattered so right right so did you end up missing it i mean you said that uh that you were kind of ready to be done but did you did you end up missing the the atv scene well i thought at first you know when i said i was done and i, and I told him at that race i was done but no one believed me and then i probably would have came back but that winter i, I that winter i'd already been doing some testing with timmy over ktm mm. timmy was working for ktm and he called me to do some some testing and stuff so i'd already done some stuff with him and another guy named john Maley. And so I, I kind of liked that KTM thing and it was kind of neat. It was something different, you know, just to go test and, and ride something, have a little bit of fun. And then Timmy called me, so I don't know when it was, January, December, January or something. He had, you know, he was, they hired him to run the KTM off-road team. Sure. And he said, hey, I need some help. Um, he said, we got a lot of stuff to do in a short time to get it done before this first race. He said, how busy are you? I, said, I ain't got anything going on. He said, can you come to Florida? I said, yeah. So I drove down and was just planning on being there for, I don't know, a week or so, or maybe the first race. And I think I ended up hanging out three or four years. So, <laughs> I was going to say you got roped into that whole deal. Oh so, um, yeah. So, so literally, literally these are, this is the next sentence in my notes. 
Well, you wouldn't be gone from racing for long because eventually you teamed up with KTM when, when they made that big push with their production race ready quad. Um, so that had to be a really cool project to be a part of, especially, you know, with your buddy, Timmy, like that had to be a pretty surreal thing for you guys to be friends, competitors for forever. And now you're, you know, you're kind of heading this, this KTM effort. Yeah. Over the years, you know, we worked together on a lot of stuff, you know, those, those bikes for Pont de Vue. You know, the Baja stuff, um, the Honda stuff. So even though we were competitors, um, we ended up having to work together a lot. Kind of like you see with, with, with Joe and Chad with doing that Team USA thing. I mean, they're mm-hmm. competitors. And I'm sure they, they definitely don't want to lose to each other. Right. But, you know, there comes a time you got to put all that stuff aside and work to, to, to you know, to win a race for both of us. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's what we did. And then it was kind of cool because we had the same backgrounds. We both loved TT. Um, Timmy, Timmy did, and I did, and, and we were both, we both loved motocross. Um, so, and we, we were never the, the guys that was like, you know, like Joe and Doug was like, we want, we want the series split, you know, they wanted to split because they was never going to win a championship as long as it was together. Right. So <laughs> Doug might, Joe wasn't, but, uh, Doug, <laughs> Doug did when it was, was together. Yeah. I think. But yeah, so that, so we, I mean, we just, we had fun. And uh, we, we got uh, we got that KTM to where it worked good. And we, we shocked a lot of people right out of the box with that thing. Oh, yeah. The KTM was rad. I think it was probably a little before its time, but the machine was awesome. Yeah, we uh, I remember going to the first GNCC and pulling in and people coming in and they'd been hearing about it. But it was a full blown factory team. And we had uh, Adam McGill and uh, Taylor Kaiser. And Mike Holbert, which is another guy that works for GNCCs, which grew up here in West Virginia, he was an old quad racer. Okay. Um, as that I, I grew up looking up to him and his uh, cousin Stevie, both were really good GNCC riders. Okay. And uh, Mike came over and uh, he said, How you guys going to do with this thing? And I said, well, If we can get out of this sandbox here in Florida, I think we got a pretty good bike. I said, We tested down here a couple, three weeks. I said, But we get up on the hard pack stuff, I think we'll be good. And we got fourth and fifth, I think. Taylor was fourth and, and Adam was fifth at the first GNCC. Then we went to the next race. And I think McGill won four straight um, before he, before he, and then he broke at the fifth one leading with about a mile from the finish. Oh, and uh, yeah, I mean, we were, we were rolling. So, but that was, was a good, I mean, that was a good bike though. Like out of the box. I mean, that was a pretty solid machine. Well, i tell you what happened was when KTM decided to do that, they went to GNCC and the Coombs and them and said, Hey, what's the CC limit? They said, we don't have one. You can run wherever you want. They said, okay. So they released, obviously they released a 450 because everyone makes a 450. And then they had that 425. Mm-hmm. So we said, well, I mean, if there's no CC limit, we're running the 425. Mm-hmm. And the, the 525, right? Yeah, 525. Yeah. Yeah. So to run it, run them down the road, you know, a 450 versus that 525 to drag race them, it'll pull a little bit. But mm-hmm. when you go in the woods or you start pulling uphill grade, that torque to that mm-hmm. 525, was so much better and it was good and so we went out there and, and if if uh, mcgill hadn't broke he would have won five in a row he broke loretta's after he won four in a row and uh, he was leading that with about a mile to go and taylor was in second and taylor broke literally i mean they were they could see each other you know and it was only about a mile from the finish they just overheated they got hot and covered in mud and just got hot and they and they those two they, they timed out at the same time right yeah the bikes broke down almost side by side mm-hmm. after two and a half hours, you know. 
Okay. So um, they, uh, but those, the five, and then, and then the next year, I don't know who complained, which manufacturer it was, but one of them said, that's not fair. They're running 525s. And so the GNCC, Coombs, and all of them went back and changed the rule and said, you can't run the 525 anymore. You're going to run a 450. Okay. That really changed a lot for us. That, that changed everything with that thing. But yeah, I mean, those were, I mean, the chassis and everything was on those bikes was, like I said, it was almost a little before its time. I, I don't know. Uh, I think that, I mean, the price point might've made the thing a little before it's time, um, but good machine. It obviously did good in the cross country. Like you guys were doing prior to all that. Did you ever, uh, did you ever like do any TT racing with that thing? Like yourself personally, how was it on the TT platform? I'm sure you had to have ridden it some. Oh yeah. I rode it a lot. I rode it a lot. Um, I did race it. I raced it at Estabula one year. Okay. Um, 2000, what well, was the last time I raced Estabula besides the legends race. So I think it was, uh, 2010, maybe 2000, I think it was around 2010, 2011. Okay. And it was, Timmy was hurt. Timmy had a broken arm or something. Timmy, I think was originally going to ride it. Well, then Timmy said, you ride it. We didn't have a TT bike. It was just a, it was just a uh, 525 sitting there. Actually, I don't, I don't even know if it was a 525. It was just sitting there in the garage and asked if coming up in a couple days. So Sam, the guy that worked for us, we said, well, let's build a TT bike. We built that thing. We finished it up. And, and then we finished it up on Thursday. And I took it in Timmy, at Timmy's house. I wrote it down the blacktop in front of his house, come back, put it in the, in the semi, and we took off to the track. I mean, that was all we put on that bike. Okay. Um, literally. And uh, we went to the track. And I think I ran second. I couldn't ride the pro class with it um, because I didn't have a pro license, they said. Okay. So whatever so they, I could, they couldn't they couldn't grandfather you in come on yeah <laughs> I mean, they they i'm telling you well I went to, they gave us all kinds of problems and i couldn't believe it the referee and i was friends with the guy and he gave me all kinds of problems our number plate was the wrong size you know in in, in the grab bar the, the front bumper the wrath it was mm-hmm. it was too small you know and i'm like you gotta be kidding they gave me all kinds of problems getting through tech and I'm like, do you guys even want us to race? We can just load this stuff up and go home. You think that they'd be excited that, you know, that factory KTM was there and Shane Hitt was out here going to ride this thing. They gave me all kinds of problems. So I ended up running it in the, um, the, it was the pro-am class or whatever, which is the exact same riders. Mm-hmm. So, and I got out, I won a heat race and run away with it. And then in the, in the main, I think I got out third. And I can't remember who won. Frankie Batista, little kid from California, my, mm-hmm. a buddy of mine. Yeah. Yep. Frankie got out front, got the start. Harold got out second, Goodman. And I don't know where I got out, but I got the, I think I got the third pretty quick. And Harold had a pretty good little lead on me. And I finally, and he was pulling away. I couldn't really run with him. And then I kind of changed, I moved my lines around a little bit, changed some shift points. And I started gaining on Harold. Well, then I caught Harold. I thought, yeah, this thing's going pretty good now. The last <laughs> lap, coming out of the bowl to start down this front straightaway, I passed Harold for second. And uh, I ended up getting second on it, but it was the only, only time I ever wrote. No, I wrote it one race after that. I went to a race a couple weeks later and uh, got in the first turn pile up and was dead last and uh, came. I actually pulled off on the back stretch. coming down the back stretch. I pulled off, was going to quit. And then Timmy and all of them were standing over there and they kind of shook their head at me. They would, didn't want me to do that. So I took back off and come all the way back and got like fourth or fifth from dead last. I was almost completely lapped when I took off, but the bike was, the bike was good. Yeah, that was, a, that was a good bike. Insurance. It's not something everyone likes to talk about, but let's face it. If you race motocross, it's something you should have. 
Integrative Financial Concepts is an independent financial service and insurance firm who offers moto-friendly insurance and helps out riders like Nick Janusa, Jeffrey Rastrelli, and Joel Hetrick gain confidence on the track. With their unique safe-to-race and safe-to-ride programs, if you qualify, they have the ability to offer life insurance with living benefits to those who ride. With these living benefits, you may have the ability to access a portion of your life insurance policy while you're still living for things like cancer, heart attack, stroke, or chronic illness. They can also help with many other things, such as home, auto, motorhome, and trailer insurance, as well as college planning, special needs planning, payroll processing, as well as group health benefits for your business. So whether something happens on or off the track, Integrated Financial Concepts has you covered. With their complimentary one-on-one appointments, what are you waiting for? Reach out to Mike Daniele at D-A-N-I-E-L-E underscore Michael at nlgroupmail.com today and see how Integrated Financial Concepts can help you. Living benefit riders are supplemental benefits that can be added to a life insurance policy and are not suitable unless you have the need for life insurance. Riders are optional and may require additional premium and may not be available in all states or on all products. This is not a solicitation for any specific insurance policy. Bikes, Trikes, and Quads LLC has been supplying riders with aftermarket components from the industry's top brands for over a decade. With over 80,000 products in stock for your ATVs, UTVs, metric, and HD motorcycles, dirt bikes, and snowmobiles, Bikes, Trikes, and Quads LLC can tend to all your power sports needs from hard parts to riding gear. Bike Strikes and Quads also offers hard to find used parts for your vintage dirt bike, ATV, three-wheeler, or snowmobile. Use discount code ATVMX at www.btqllc.com for 10% off of orders of $100 or more. We're grateful to have Bike Strikes and Quads LLC digging deep with us. Thank you, BTQ LLC. We are proud to be partnered with Gripped Gloves. Gripped is an ATV rider owned and operated brand with a rider in mind and the goal of keeping costs affordable. The Michigan-based family operation recognizes riders' desire to showcase their identity. Owner David Payne's love for eccentric colorways and crazy patterns shows in his product something not often found in the work of big manufacturers. Here to push stereotypes and limitations, Grip's drive is to produce a glove with cool colors and designs that won't break the bank. With comfort and quality as key motivators, the Family Affair is constantly working on the next more innovative and improved glove. Get a grip on life, join the Gripped movement, because no one wants a bland glove. Check them out today at grippedgloves.com, that's G-R-I-P-T gloves.com, and use discount code DIGGINGDEEP10 to save at checkout. Just like the sport of ATV motocross as a whole, our Digging Deep community is brought together by the love for racing that we all share. Our sport is compiled of many great people, and leaving that charge is the Launderville family at Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply. This racing-owned family business is a steel and concrete supplier serving the entire United States. Launderville Steel is a full-service steel supplier of new and surplus steel, aluminum, and stainless steel products headlined by the 4130 chromoly tubing and plate used in the building of chassis for ATVs and UTVs, off-road truck racing, late model dirt and pro tractor pulling series, drag racing, and more. Launderville Steel loves their racing just as much as we do, but don't forget about their concrete division as well. With over 25 years of experience, the concrete division can supply everything you need to complete your next business or personal project. Their central Midwest location enables LSE to easily serve customers across the United States. For a quote, additional info, answers to more of your questions, or to talk a little racing, head over to LaundervilleSteel.com or give them a call today. We are proud to be partnered with yet another racer-owned company. 
Thank you, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply. Thanks for listening, and remember to support our partners. Now back to the show. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the the KTM deal there was your last hurrah, basically with ATV stuff, right? So, um, you know, you you touched on way earlier in your career, you were doing the the dirt car thing. Were you doing the dirt car thing throughout your you know, the rest of your career, or did you get into the dirt car thing after you said, you know, after you kind of closed the book on the quad stuff? Yeah. I, I, once 97, when I started going good, I parked the dirt car stuff mm-hmm. and I was just going to do it till the year was over. And then I went on and won the championship and I never did go back to dirt cars till 2008. Well, it's working. It's when I started helping Timmy over at KTM. Okay. Um, I never really went back to the dirt car stuff. I mean, I still round it. You know, there's a lot of tracks around me. I got friends that do it. So I'd still go to the races every now and then and watch. But, and I always thought at some point I was going to go back, but I didn't until 2008 or nine, I think somewhere in that area. Okay. So you've been doing that now, obviously, you know, for the, for the better part of a decade, more than a decade. Um, Give us the quick synopsis on your, on your late model uh, career, Shane, because I'm sure our listeners uh, are going to want to know how that's going too. No, it goes good. We just basically, we just run locally. Um, the local tracks around here, I, I did go to Florida um, back 2009, 10, 11, in those years, go down and run a lot of stuff in the winter. Um, but obviously then I've got two kids, two boys that got into sports and they play basketball all year long. So kind of just stopped the traveling and just started running a couple local tracks or whatever. And, and uh, I'll win four, five races a year. Nothing, okay, well that, but that's still pretty good. Cause even on the, on the local scene, like late model dirt car, local racing, still a big deal. At least it is here where I'm at. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really popular around here. The, you know, rocket chassis is 30 minutes from us. Um, so, and there's four or five tracks probably in West Virginia. So it, it's popular around here. Um, and it's way more popular now than, than even the, the ATV stuff is because our local motocross track shut down mm-hmm. um, high point really doesn't do any any atv stuff other than the national i think right. so um right now you know motocross for motorcycles and atvs is it's not doing real well around here mm-hmm. no it's it's that's the same way uh it is here locally um but that's a that's a topic for another day because i think that yeah like if you're an atv racer it's hard to race anywhere other than the national scene you're kind of forced to the national scene because the local scene is kind of dwindling, but, uh, but yeah, like I said, that's a, that's a whole nother topic, but, uh, so is there any, I have to believe that there's some crossover between, you know, the, the cars and the, the years of racing flat track and TT, I'm assuming at least there's some setup concepts and stuff that are similar. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, when I first came and started racing cars and then left the car scene and went back to the ATV scene, I learned a lot. Okay. You know? You know, grooving tires, siping tires, you know, um, ride heights, how important shocks and springs are. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't even as I don't know that through those years through like, you know, from like, I don't know, 97 to 2001, I think I won the TT championship every year. I don't know that I was a better rider those years than I was in, eight, in, in 93, 94. It's just I, I knew more about what I was doing. You know, I knew how important ride heights was and, and shocks and, and, and springs and air pressures. And mm-hmm. so all that stuff, and, and it's the same thing with our car. I don't, you can take the best driver in the country and stick him in a bad race car and he'll look bad. 
Right. Well, I think that that makes, um, yeah, like on the car side, kind of the same concept, but any of you guys that were so, I mean, legendarily good at, you know, flat track and TT, I mean, naturally you're a good setup person. Uh, I, I think it just comes hand in hand because you have to be in that style of racing. Well, it's the little things, you know, everybody can get the big things. Everybody can go buy a, a Yamaha four-wheeler and, you know, buy a RAS sway bar or, you know, buy a set of Elka shocks or PEP shocks and, and go ride motocross. But it's the little things that make the difference. And, and that's why usually the guys that are winning, I mean, their stuff's usually better. I mean, if you look at champion stuff, it's, it's on point. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and then especially talking, you know, TT racing, it's that 1%. It's, it's getting that machine. And, and I don't want to speak for you, you know, better than I, but it's getting that machine to be an extension of, of yourself, an extension of your body so that, you know, exactly what that thing is going to do. I mean, I know some of that stuff just from my dad being like, you know, the local legend here when I was a kid, um, everybody came to him cause he knew the setup and that was a huge, that was, you know, huge part of all his success on the local level. Yeah, it's, it makes a difference, you know, and, and, and the thing is, is, you know, even in the car racing and, and in the ATV racing, if, if your bike's working good, a lot of times these kids will think, and, and, and even when they're driving cars, they'll go out and they'll win a race and they'll think, oh, it's all me. It's all me. I'm, I'm, I'm the best thing ever. You know what? You put you on a bad bike or, or put you on, you won't be so good. You know, mm-hmm. it's just John Natale. I raced with John Natale for years and John was, he was a better rider than I was. But when John was on a bike that wasn't very good, well, we beat him. Mm-hmm. But but then you put John on the same bike as us, then we had to race him. So, right. yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think that that is, I mean, two wheeled, you know, motocross or four wheeled, you know, flat track TT motocross. That whole thing, I think it is. It's like the it's kind of the perfect combination. You need to be a you know a really good rider, fit rider, and then you need to you know have a good machine, and, and your setup has to be on point. It's a, kind of the perfect kind of middle ground. It's not all athlete. It's not all machine. Um, it's kind of right in the middle, which I've always thought has been a cool thing with our kind of racing and throughout this time, uh, even like up until now, you know, you ride ATVs pretty, pretty regularly, right? You have a, a Yamaha YFZ 450 R that I've seen some pictures of, and, uh, you, you know, still enjoy turning some laps on that thing from what I understand. I do. I, I like to ride a lot, the, the, but like we talked about the motocross scene around here is it's not very good. Mm-hmm. I'm having to ride. I'm I'm have to drive basically three, little over three hours to the closest motocross track, which is Breezewood Proving Grounds, which is up PA, which is it's a it's a cool place. Um, and, and the guy that runs it, Dan Harris, mm-hmm. he I don't know if he raced three wheelers, raced four wheelers, what he done, but you know, he does he likes three wheelers and four wheelers and motorcycles and yeah, I don't he, I mean he let anybody ride and, and it's kind of cool because you can go out there on the track and and the track's good. I mean. You know, he's got fingers in each turn. So there's an inside line or an outside line. And I can go out there and ride with motorcycles all day long and no one cares. But any other motocross track you go to, you pull out there and there's a motorcycle on, they get mad and they don't, they want to ride with you. Or the track owner says, oh, no, you got to wait till all the motorcycles are done. You can go. But he lets us ride up there and, and it's a good place. And if I lived closer, I'd ride there every weekend. Yeah. But. Yeah. It does look like a cool place. I don't know Dan, uh, but I do know that he's a big ATV advocate, which is awesome. Um, because I, you know, more people like him, more tracks like that, that kind of treat ATVs and, you know, and motorcycles the same, there'd be better local ATV riding and racing if we had more track owners like that. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and, and uh, I went up there 
before I did the race, the, le- the la- that last le- Legends race up in Ohio, mm-hmm. I tried to sneak up there and ride. I wanted to ride a couple of days. I wanted to, you know, so I didn't look like a fool when I went to, <laughs> to uh, Astigula. So I went up there to ride a few times. I went up there on a Monday. I think it was a Monday. And I took my youngest son with me, I think it was. I said, let's go up there on a Monday and, and ride because there won't be nobody there. We have the track to track ourselves because not many people can ride on Monday. They're at work. Mm-hmm. So we pull in and they say, you here for the ATV class or school or something? I'm like, no, I'm just here to ride. They said, well, it's closed today. I said, what do you mean it's closed? I said, you guys are supposed to be open on Mondays. Well, we are generally, but today we're closed for an ATV school. And I said, oh, I said, well, can I sign up for the class? And the woman's like, no, 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 no. You, you had to sign up already a long time ago. And I said, well, who's running the class? And she said, uh, Joel Hetrick. I said, huh? I said, huh? Well, I said, well, I know Joel. I said, well, can I go talk to him? She said, yeah. So she let me in. So I went over there parked and started getting dressed or whatever. And I hadn't seen Joel in a couple of years, probably. Mm-hmm. And, got, and by this time I've got my gear on my helmet. Well, I'm just gonna go ride. And Joel comes riding by and he stops and says, what are you doing here? So, <laughs> I come so you showed up when dream camp was going on. So did you get to get to spend some laps then I'm assuming? Yeah, he actually said, we're getting ready to finish up because there's, there's three tracks. There's a kid's track or an intermediate and an advanced. And they were on the intermediate track. He says, we're done in about 10 minutes. He said, you can have a place to yourself. I don't care. And so it was kind of cool. And uh, and he was actually, at this point, I think they were done riding. He was just doing some training stuff with him, jogging and turning over uke tires or something. But Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that had to be, I mean, what are the odds? They got a, they got a, a, you know, an ATV class going on at this place and Shane hit shows up, you know, legendary ACV national champion, pretty cool. Uh, so being that you had never, you know, fully removed yourself from the, the ATV scene, um, that had to make it a pretty easy decision to come back and, and race that legends race at Astabula then. Well, they had been talking about it for years, you know, and, and it just, you know, they, they, and every year someone would say, Hey, we want you to come do this. Come do that. I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, then they finally, I don't know when they really decided they were going to do it. And it was kind of a, it was kind of a mess. I mean, one guy's telling me to come and another guy's telling me he's running it and someone else is telling me they're running it. And then whoever runs, I don't even know who runs the series. North, I don't know, Northeastern ATV series or something. I don't even remember. Yeah. And, yeah, whatever. Yeah, however, I don't know yeah, the letters, but that's yeah. The problem with ET is they've got about five different series, and if they wouldn't compete against each other, run together, they'd have a lot of riders. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah. series gets a couple hundred riders. I mean, there's series in Missouri, and there's a Northeast, and there's one down south, and you put them all together, that's a big series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yep. so anyway, I told them, John Pellin called me and said, Would you put something out? So I did. I, I put something on Instagram. I said, I don't know who all is coming or I don't know who's getting second, but I'm getting first. So that stirred it all up. Okay. So, um, and I didn't really have anything to ride. And they said it was just going to be guys from our era. So I'm thinking, well, I'll just take, I've got my, my TT bike from 2003 sitting in the basement. You know, I'll just go throw some gas in it and ride it. And that's <laughs> what I did. And yeah. so, I was going to uh, ask you, yeah, I was going to ask you, um, you know, if that was your, your own machine from back in the day, I figured it had to be, cause it was a perfect replica. Um, so that <laughs> perfect replica, it was the machine. Um, but remind me how that race weekend went for you, because I saw your name in the mix as much as anybody's. Uh, so, so how did that weekend go? Cause I know, you know, your name was, was at the top of the marquee. Yeah, it was a, it was a good weekend. It was fun. And, and, you know, I'd been to Astigul, I'd been to Astigul a lot. You know, because they used to run a national there. They used to run a summer national there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, 
And, and if I went to Timmy's, there was times they, they had a bunch of trails there and that motocross track in the back. So, and they had a pond there. Timmy and Julie actually got married there. I was in Timmy's wedding there. Okay. So, um, that, and it's literally borders Mark Baldwin's place mm-hmm. or his yes. mom and dad. Yeah. So, um, we, I, you know, our place felt like home to me up there. And so I went up there and when I turned in to the track, I looked to my right, which is a huge open field. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. I have not. No huge open field. And we usually don't even park in it. It's a spectator's field. And it was completely full. And I'm like, I've never seen anybody park in this field since like the early nineties. I'm trying to think the last time I seen people parked in this is uh, American Honda brought a couple semis up there and they had, they unloaded the Honda pilots for people to test ride. Okay. Yeah. Out the white one. And they set up all these cones and, that, and it's a huge field. And then they let everybody come over and sign a waiver try it out mm-hmm. and uh, so it's a big field and when i turned in that field was completely full and i'm like whoa um i didn't expect that you know so we parked and we unloaded and in my tt bike which was in the basement hadn't rode it in well it would have been 10 years since i'd rode it um since 2003 was the last time i raced it so i mean i basically 20 years really almost since i'd rode this bike right and, you know, the, the, uh, the front wheels were kind of dull on it. So I had a new set of wheels and I put new tires on. All I did was put new tires on it, clean the carburetor okay. and started up. I sent, I actually, when I first started, it had a vibration in it. And I thought this thing vibrates. I think counterbalance or something's going out of it. So I pulled the motor out and I sent it down to Jeremiah, uh, just the bottom end I, or the whole motor. And I said, Hey, I think it needs a counterbalance. Right? I don't have time to mess with it. So Jeremiah said, I'll go through it. Well, it was good. And, uh, I said, well, put new clutches and stuff in it. So he put clutches in it. He called Curtis and Curtis sent him a piston for it. So we put it back in. So it was good to go. And I'm thinking, I'm going to this race. I'm not doing anything with this bike. I'm just going to go ride it. Mm-hmm. I, I sent my shocks to Wayne because I was, I was afraid. The, Wayne, the shocks are 20 years old. You know? <laughs> right. and, I, and Wayne laughs because I sent him three sets um, <laughs> because he carried a lot of shocks. So I sent him three a short set, uh, a medium set, and a long set in case it got slick. And, and I, I called Wayne. I said, you think these things need service? He said, yeah, they're 20 years old. And so I said, well, I checked the nitrogen in them. Nitrogen's still fine. He said, send them out here. So they redone them. And I went up there and and I changed some things just to make it look better. And I went out for practice the first lap. And just about, I, I pulled up and I thought, I'm going to go easy the first lap of practice. Go, go easy. I'm just let everybody go. I'm going easy. So I pull up to the line. I'm just sitting there and, and out of the corner of my eye, this blue bike pulls up beside me. I look over and it's Timmy. I said, well, that shit just went out the window. <laughs> so we take off wide open, you know, down the front. And we go just like, just like old times. Just like old times. No, I'm not letting him beat me. So, you know, about the third turn, I, I go to go in the corner. I miss my rear brake and over the berm and about killed myself. But I didn't <laughs> not wrecking. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to wreck on the first lap. And so I practice. Right. So I went back in and changed my rear brake pedal and changed the wheels, put the other wheels back on because I didn't like that wide offset and uh, made a couple changes. But if I went and run a local race before that, I think I could have won that thing, you know, or I could have got second easily because what happened was um, I got second in the heat race, but I smoked a clutch in practice and I didn't have no clutch. So I smoked it. And you can hear, I wore a GoPro in, in one of the races. And it, you can hear the clutch slipping all the way down straight away. Sure, yeah. But I won. You know, I didn't take nothing with me. I just took my bike. So, luckily, um, Robert McClure shows up, um, you know, works for Wayne Henson. Mm-hmm. Works for him. 
clutch and, and we've been buddies for years and, and, and I don't even why he done it, but he brought a 250 yard clutch basket with him. And I say, and, and he showed up, I said, I'm glad you're here because my clutch is smoked. He said, let's put a new one in it. So he changed the basket and everything. And I had to go to Mark's, I went over to Mark's shop and got some clutches. And we put a clutch in it. Well, this was on Saturday and they're supposed to run a Saturday where they messed around. And we, ne- they, we never got a practice. We never got anything. We just went straight out for the feature or for the main. And we're sitting on the, we're sitting down there in staging, getting ready to go out. And they walk by and they said, how many laps you guys want to go Four, four. You know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, no, no, we were doing 20. And, and the rest of the guys were like, oh, no, we're not doing 20. You know, I said, we come here to race. Well, we'll do, we'll do, uh, uh, I said, no, let's do at least 12. No, we're going to do eight. I think they settled on like six laps or something. Oh, I'm like, you got, got to be kidding me. I come all the way up here for six laps. But anyway, <laughs> I really bad. I put a, a set of short shocks on the front and I really horrible. I mean, it's the worst start I pulled in my career. And uh, first lap, I was probably 10th, 12th, somewhere back there. And I got all the way to fourth in six laps. But if we could have went eight laps, I probably could have got to – I'd have got third, maybe could have got to second. Because the only person that passed me was was um, Reynolds, um, Mitch Reynolds. Mitch, Mitch yep. Uh, Mitch, I passed Mitch on the first lap. I got by him somehow. My start was horrible, so I don't know how I got by him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, about lap four or five, um, he passed me going down the front stretch and then I passed him back and then he got back by me. But, and when he got by my, got by me, he got by another kid and the other kid held me up. So Mitch got a little ways off, but it, I watched a video and, and uh, Kirby cook won it. Mm-hmm. And it meant second and, and I, someone else was third. Can't remember who it was, but I was on the guy for third, but the video, you know, on the last lap when, when uh, Kirby cook was going through the first turn, I was coming out where the bowl is now. It's just a flat turn. I was just coming out the corner. He was already in a turn. So I made up half a straightaway on him in traffic, but I mean, I was good. The bike was good. And a lot of people say two fifty R won't run. And it was just a straight two sixty five. I mean, okay. and those, and, and those guys are way younger than me. They should beat me, but, <laughs> but whatever. It's, I don't care that they beat me. I, I just had fun that, that I got to go race, you know, it, I, mean, it, I, I it was just cool uh, that, you know, so many people, like you said, showed up for that or for that race and, and truly made it like a legendary weekend. Um, I can't remember what it was. I mean, there was like 800 entries or something. Almost stupid. A thousand. Yeah. Okay. So I, and a thousand was in my head, but I'm like, well, maybe that's a little, little too many, but I knew it was a ton. So to create, I mean, this legendary event, just to be a part of that and to pull out the old 250 R, you know, out of the basement. I mean, I, that's just the coolest thing. It had to be to kind of like a pinch me weekend. I mean, obviously you would have liked to have won, but uh, I mean, just to, it was like taking you and, you know, throwing you back a decade or two decades in time. It, just the coolest thing. Yeah, it was, it was fun. And I got to, I hadn't been there for a long time. So I got to go see a lot of old friends, mm-hmm. you know, and um, that's the cool thing about this ATV racing is when, when you're done is um, it's the, it's the friends, it's the people you miss. It's, it's the, you know, the friendships and stuff. It's not, not so much the racing. I mean, the last few years that we raced, you know, and, and I know if you, if you ask probably any of those guys, I mean, I had more fun just me and Timmy going to some track we'd never been to and just going out and riding for two or three hours and then going to another track and riding the race and stuff, man, it's, I mean, everybody expects you to win and everybody expects you to do good. And, and, and even not even that, I mean, I expected to do good. 
Mm-hmm. And when I didn't do good, I was, I was pissed off and in a bad mood. And, uh, yeah, just, I'm, I'm competitive and I don't like to lose. Oh yeah. I think, I think a lot of us, a lot of us, uh, you know, competitors are that way. Um, but yeah, I think the pressure and, and you're, you know, as the athlete, you're always the one that puts the most pressure on yourself, but the pressure is what, uh, is what can kind of zap the fun out of it at times. But yeah, like, like you said, I mean, um, it comes down to truly loving and enjoying, you know, the, the riding of ATVs. Um, I think that, I mean, that's why everybody starts and then, yeah, like along the way you find your best friends in this sport. Uh, I think that everybody, you and I, everybody listening right now can relate to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so much more to it than just, you know, just lining up on the weekend. Yeah. But, but there- uh, Go ahead. It was, it was definitely a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, let's finish this up, Shane, with a, a few broader questions about your career, um, beginning with your favorite quad. If I asked you your favorite quad, what would you say? I think out of all the quads I rode, I think the, the K and people, people think I'm crazy when I say it, but I like the KTM SX, the 520, uh, the 505, mm-hmm. the, the okay. SX of the KTM. I always Thought it was the best. I think even today, if they would release that bike just like it is, and it's still the it's still better than anything out there. Well, that's so. why I said. I mean, I'm you know a Yamaha guy at this point, but the but the the KTM, I truly believe it was before its time. It was before its time. It was like released at a time when people weren't ready for whether it be that price point or whatever. Uh, but I think you're right. Like you could release that quad to this day, and it would be successful. Yeah, I think I think if, if if KTM would release the quad right now, they don't even do no updates, just release it. The only thing it doesn't have right now, like the Yamaha's got fuel injection, but I mean for the motocross version, it, it was it was already 50 inches wide. Mm-hmm. You didn't need an axle, you didn't need A-arms. Uh, it came with nerf bars, it came with bead locks, you know, it came with a kill switch. I mean, you literally could we took them to Redbud for the debut and we rolled them on Redbud bone stock and ran them. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And they didn't need a lot, but um I, and I think at some point. I wish that that's what we had, but we, we don't, we don't have that thing and um, we don't have anything like it, but I, I don't know. I mean, Yamaha's not going to spend the money t- to do that when they've got the whole market now anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I give them a lot, I give Yamaha obviously a lot of credit for continuing to make that machine better every year, but yeah, like, I think that there's, I mean, a small bit of fear for everybody that now that everybody's going to Yamaha just got to hope that they, you know, continue to stick with it because, um, you know, they've stuck with it the last 10 years. Now it's finally paying off. We just need to, them to, to, to hang on for a little bit longer, but yeah, the, uh, the KTM is obviously, uh, was an amazing machine. Like I said, I think it was a, a great machine back then. I think like you're saying, I think it would still be a great machine to this day. Uh, next question, toughest competitor or fiercest rival. I'm assuming I know the answer to this question. Uh, but does anybody stand out? Well, probably I mean, honestly, the guy I probably battled with the most was Timmy. Yeah, so. I figured I figured that had to be had to be the one because it seemed like you guys were always connected in one way or another. You always found each other. You just always connected. It felt like. Yeah, if there was no Tim Farr, I'd have all kinds of championships. <laughs> <laughs> he, and if it wasn't me, he'd probably have a whole lot more. Right. So, yeah. Exactly. But no, it was you know Timmy. I mean, but they were all there were so many so many good guys that I raced with over the years. I mean, it, it's just, it's hard to name them from Gary to, to Donnie, to, you know, Timmy, to, to people like Corey that never even won a championship that people don't, don't realize how good Corey Ellis could win at any time he wanted to. I mean, if he really put his head down and tried to do it, Corey was exceptional. Well, John Natalie and, and Joe, and 
I mean, it just, it just went on and on, you know, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, the guys that come along, I, I didn't really ever get a race. I never got to race with Chad or, or Joel, or I didn't get to race with Dustin or Dustin Wimmer. I mean, I rode with Dustin some, mm-hmm. um, cause we were friends, but, um, never really had to race with those guys. I don't think I raced with Creamer either, but, uh, those guys are all amazing. So, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I think it would have, it, it wouldn't be right if you didn't answer Timmy to that question. So, uh, so we'll move on to the next one. Favorite track or event. Do you have a favorite track or event? It's, it's, you know, it, it's hard. I mean, you, you got to put the Baja 1000 up there. Okay. It, it, um, you know, that, that thing's pretty prestigious. Um, anytime you roll into, uh, Loretta's, uh, that Pont de Vue deal over there mm-hmm. is, is absolutely incredible. Um, that's, uh, anybody that can ever has a chance to go do that race, they need to go do it at least once. I mean, I went back a few years ago and, and, uh, it gets bigger every year. It's, it's, it's up there. So I like that. Of course, obviously I like Astibule, everything at Pine Lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hard to, hard to, uh, to narrow it down to one kind of piggybacking off that. So do you have a favorite race that you wish you could go back and, and relive? If you could go back and relive a, a race or a memory or something, do you have something that stands out? Like you wish you could just go back and do that one more time, relive it one more time. Um, when at high point or, um, the 2000 legends race at Astubulo when I won there. Um, <clears throat> that race was big because everybody that ever raced, you know, as far as Marty Hart, Mike Coe, uh, Donnie, Jimmy White, Jackie Meadows, mm-hmm. Dean Sundahl. I mean, those guys were all there watching. So that was that, that race. And not only did I win it, I just, I, I beat them bad. I mean, I, I won right away. Sure. So, I mean, that was, that was a big race. And that was a race when the schedule came out that I was like, if I win one race this year, that's the one I want to win. Okay. And, and I, I got lucky enough to win that one. Yeah. That one in the Jack Meadows race, um, at Paducah, Kentucky. In with, four. With, yeah. Obviously Baja 1000. If you can, when you win that thing's huge, um, Pont de Vue's huge. They're all, I mean, I don't know how you really pull one out. There's so many big ones, but, um, mm. Like I just, I, I mean, I'm just glad I got to win one. So, yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, we know that you're, you know, connected with Joel a little bit, um, you know, with the, the Z 400 stuff back in the day, you talked about, I mean, you're still friendly with each other. Uh, do you have a, a current, uh, racer that you follow or a current racer that you pull for, or, um, I guess how closely do you follow, you know, current ATV racing? I follow it pretty close. Um, Obviously, I'm still really good friends with Baldwin. Um, mm-hmm. Me and Mark have been friends since we were young. Um, since before, before he started Baldwin Motorsports, I, I'll tell you a story about that here in a minute. But okay. I follow, obviously, I follow Joel. Um, I follow Chad. Mm-hmm. Both are obviously unbelievable, and I, and I like them. Um, Thomas Brown was, was clearly one of my favorites for sure. Um, I followed Dustin Wimmer a lot because we were buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and, and usually whoever's riding for Mark, whether it's the Ford brothers or, or who, um, just cause me and Mark are buddies, but, um, yeah, Joel and Chad and, and Thomas, I followed forever, you know? So, mm-hmm. and, and Mark's got, Mark's got another good one with Bryce. I'll tell you. Yeah. He's going to be good, mm-hmm. but that Max kid's going to be pretty good too. Max Linquist. So, he's from, he's from up here by me. Yeah. He's, 
to think that he's doing what he's doing. He was doing it. He's just turned 18. Um, so to, to be a podium guy in the pro class at 17 years old nowadays with all those established guys is, is pretty impressive, man. I, yeah, I he's can't, be, can't believe it. It'll be a thorn in, in, in Ford's here. I agree. So, I agree. But that's good. I mean, it's good, uh, good competition's healthy. Oh, for so. sure. Yeah. It's got a, it's got a very, uh, new age Chad Weenan versus Joel Hetrick feel, you know, I mean, you got the kind of straight up, you know, real raw speed, you know, crazy going to hold it wide open guy versus the, you know, consistent methodical, you know, in control. I mean, it's, it's very, it's very eerily similar to the guys that came before them. Yeah. So that, that's good. But going back to Baldwin, we went to the AMA Hall of Fame thing for dinner. Yeah. Yep. I mean, Mark's been friends for years. And I kind of forgot about it. I was talking to Jeremy Osborne. You know, Jeremy. From, I do. From, from Briarcliff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we're talking to Jeremy and, and Mark says, I don't even know how we got onto it. I, I told Mark, he said something about, maybe Jeremy said something about Timmy or whatever. And I said, you know, Timmy, he made Mark famous, you know, if it wasn't for, wasn't for Timmy, you know, who, who we wouldn't know who Mark Baldwin was, you okay. know, because I like Mark a hard time. Obviously, Mark did all the work. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he didn't do all. Timmy, Timmy's a good rider. But um, I said, and Mark said, no, that's not true. That's not true. He said, you know how my business started? And I said, yeah, actually, I do. Mark was at my house in 1995 when I lived with my mom and dad. And um, we was we were racing my car. And Mark was in engineering school. And Mark, I said, Mark, I need you to go to the races with me to help. He's like, all right. So he stayed in Wayne Ridding and here building shocks for my race car. And so we went to the race and come back. Mark's like, I got to go home. I got to get back to school. I said, no, Mark, you, you need to, you need to stay a little bit longer. He said, no, 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 I got to go. And finally, after about four days of this, we raced about five nights in a row. I okay. said, Mark, just call, call down there and quit. Just call down there and drop out of school. You don't want to go to school anyway. And then he's like a senior already in college. And Mark's like, Okay, whatever. I said, just start Baldwin Motorsports. That's what you're going to do anyway. You don't need that stupid education. So Mark calls from my mom and dad's house and drops out of school and starts Baldwin Motorsports. <laughs> oh that's where Motorsports started right there. So oh, That's amazing. That's- Mark, he, he had me tell the story that Jeremy up there to AMA thing the other day. I kind of forgot about that. Oh, that's funny. Uh, you can't make that stuff up. Um, okay. Uh, last one. And this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, let's wrap it up on this one. Um, we always like to end our conversations with legends like you, uh, like yourself by asking how you want to be remembered as a racer. So how do you want to be remembered and, uh, what legacy do you hope to leave behind as a, as a racer and what kind of legacy do you want to have in ATV racing? And I don't know, that's a tough one right there. That's, um, a, that's the same thing everybody says, Shane. <laughs> but probably, you know, I, I just, I mean, I didn't go looking to, to try to win ATV races. I just did it for fun, probably, if anything, just a guy that probably had more fun than everybody else. So, well, I, I, I think I think that I started this whole conversation with saying to you that, you know, I, I always felt like you – you know, we were, you were kind of just the, the happy go lucky. Uh, I don't know if you'd say jokester type guy, but you always, uh, you know, were the happy guy I feel like, and you always, you know, wore that love for the sport on your sleeve. And I always enjoyed that about you as a little kid, um, you know, growing up and looking at you guys, like you were the biggest superstars that there were on earth. Um, I mean, that's what always stood out to me is how much, you know, you just enjoyed what you were doing. You loved riding your quad. And as a, as a, you know, six, seven, eight year old little boy, um, I, I could relate 
you know, to that. So uh, I think that at least speaking from, you know, a fan of yours right now, that's how I'll always remember you too. You were a TT God, uh, you know, former, obviously champion, uh, GNC champion, MX, you know, winner. Um, but just the way that you loved the sport, just like the rest of us, uh, I really, I really, that, that was, that was special to me. And that stuck with me. Yeah. I just, I mean, I just wanted to go and, and have fun. And I was always a lot of, a lot of people don't look at it that way, but I was always, you know, a fan first and then, then a racer. And, um, it, it's crazy because I was the same way as you. I mean, when I showed up and I, as I told you earlier, when I looked down the line and it was, there was Donnie and there was Gary and, you know, those years there was Corey and Timmy and Doug and Travis and Joe and John Natale and, you know, Jason Luberg and, and, and those guys, I mean, they were just, I mean, I was fans of them, you know, and, and I didn't know how I was ever going to beat any of them, but I wasn't <laughs> challenge so and then and then you know times change and you know inevitably there's somebody out there that tells the story of lining up next to you and being like holy shit that's Shane hit right there you know uh you know you know there's guys out there with that story it's just funny how life works yeah it is but uh Shane I don't think that there's a better way to end it um you know we can end it on that note um but man I, I can't thank uh I can't thank you enough for doing this because um you know this has been so so enjoyable for me and I hope you had as much fun as I did reliving some of these old memories and uh like I said it's truly been an honor to spend this time with you you're a legend a hero of mine uh a favorite of so many ATV fans that are listening to this right now and uh man it's been it's been awesome to get you on digging deep we've been wanting to make this happen for for a long time so it's been an absolute pleasure yeah it's been fun and um I'm glad I got to catch up with you and hopefully I'll see you at a race sometime yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I hope that this isn't the last time that we, uh, that we have you on. Hopefully, you know, you'd be willing to join us once again, maybe after you show up at, uh, at an ATV national in the near future, you know, you always show up from time to time. We've seen you at a number of races over the years and, uh, yeah, so that would be a, a great, uh, reason to have you on come join us and help, help break down the action from the, the weekend prior. That would be awesome. Yeah, I did make it to Florida this year. Um, okay. I'm in this year. Cause I said you that are. I had classes or something. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did hear that. Um, so yeah, you're, you're going to have to be like our, our at the track digging deep correspondent or something. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll Ooh. sign you up right now. <laughs> I don't know if you want me doing all that. <laughs> Shane, I appreciate it so much. Uh, right. look, look, look forward to get you, getting you back on. Uh, but until then can't thank you enough for doing this. Um, you've been an awesome, awesome guest on the digging deep ATVMX podcast. And I'm just wishing you and, and your family all the best, pal. I can't thank you enough. All right. Tell your dad. I said, hi. I sure will pal. Thanks so much. So that's a wrap with another legend here on the digging deep ATVMX podcast. Thanks to manscaped and the lawnmower 4.0 electric trimmer our presenting sponsor of Shane hit tonight, go to manscaped.com to get 20% off plus free shipping by using code digging deep 20 at manscaped.com and Shane again, until next time, thanks so much for being an awesome guest. So gracious with your time. This has been amazing. Yep. Thanks Cody. Good talking to you. You're the man. Thank you, sir. That's Shane hit right here on the digging deep ATVMX podcast. Man, another epic conversation is in the books here at Digging Deep. More legendary ATV racing stories in this one. And I'm just so darn proud to bring you guys this content. 
Major thanks to our featured guest tonight, Shane Hitt. Man, I love that guy. Thanks to our producer, Dallas Jansen, my brother, for all his hard work. Thanks to Brooke and AMA official Harv Whipple. Thanks to all of our donors. You know who you are. We appreciate you so much. Thanks to our partners, CST Tires, shop.csttires.com. Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew, Valvoline, SSI decals, DID Racing Chain, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV components, Impact Solutions, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply, Haymower Financial Group, Forworks Carbon, DP Brakes, Integrated Financial Concepts and their Safe to Race and Safe to Ride insurance programs, Gripped Gloves, Factory 43, Bike Strikes and Quads LLC, and Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. Support the brands that support our show and don't forget to use those codes to save. Find it all on our website and be sure to click that Rocky Mountain, ATVMC, and Amazon banners for all your gear and parts needs, everyday needs, and to help us out. And most of all, thanks to you guys for listening. Need more gift ideas? Our show merchandise, including Digging Deep shirts and hoodies, our Quad Guys Get Hot Chicks shirts and hoodies, back-to-back national champ merch, and more are all available today at shop.diggingdeepatvmx.com. If you're looking for another easy way to help support us, visit our website and click the Patreon or Buy Me a Coffee buttons. This allows you to set up a one-time or, like Justin Branham, monthly contribution to support our efforts. Keep sending your questions, stories, and topics in to be featured on an upcoming episode. And don't hesitate to call into our voicemail line so we can play them on the show. That number is 920-569-3519. Follow the show on social media, Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast, and myself, Cody Jansen, for additional content, coverage, and more fun stuff throughout the offseason. As for the podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Wherever you find podcasts, you'll find the Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast. All episodes, additional podcast providers, sponsor links, and discount codes, our show merchandise, fantasy info, and more can all be found on our website, diggingdeepatvmx.com, so check that out today. Be a friend, tell a friend, please download, subscribe, rate, review, and share. And with that, for Shane Hitt, Brooke Catherine, Dallas Jansen, and I'm your host, Cody Jansen. Thanks for listening to the number one podcast in ATV Racing, 3 million downloads and counting. Until next time, thanks for joining us and digging deep with the stars of ATV Motocross. See you next week. Things are crashing and burning here at the Digging Deep Podcast, much like the Titanic. Those guys were hauling ass, for real. I remember watching Doug Gus, I don't know who it was, Steel City, running the same times Friday afternoon as James Stewart was on Sunday back then. It was mental. I've never seen quads go that fast. Quad leaders are freaking nice.